Hey y'all, welcome back to But Not All at Once, the podcast for people who can remember with word-for-word accuracy every awkward text they've ever sent. For me, that's saying a lot because I have sent many an awkward text, and I'm sure more than a few were sent to today's guests. Well before they were texts, even probably a few past notes. Brooke Turner is someone I met when I was 10 years old. I have looked up to and loved her ever since. This episode is different than any other but not all at once episode you may have listened to before, not only because it's so close to my heart, as are the people who are part of the story, but also because our guest, Brooke Turner, passed away on February 2nd. The day after this episode releases, she would have been 40 years old. She leaves behind three children, Sam, Selah, and Hannah, who are in fourth, fourth, and second grades, a sister, Liz, and brother-in-law, John a loving set of parents, so many people who adored her, I couldn't begin to list them all. Brooke is someone who loves the Lord and whose story has many chapters. She started life aiming to climb the corporate ladder and eventually found that love and renegotiating a balance between work and home was where she found her calling. She moved into women's ministry, faced infertility, had twins, had a surprise beautiful baby 20 months later. She faced many changes and had plenty to talk about that would have earned her a spot on this podcast, not to mention the fact that she was an avid and voracious reader, full of wisdom and humor and life, someone who was a joy to talk to. You would have loved her. And I hope today that you will, just as much as we do. Brooke lost her husband unexpectedly a year and a half ago. The story that you're about to hear is not just about trauma and grief and heartache. It's predominantly about hope, about capital H, real, lasting, true hope. Brooke referred to herself as a student of hope, and I wanted to write down pretty much everything she said in our conversation. We recorded the beginning of this interview six months exactly before she passed last August, She was having storms in her area. Her internet and power were cutting in and out. And although one portion of our conversation seemed to have recorded just fine, when I opened the files up, it seemed that there were no vocals. I tried everything I could with the server and the host and all kinds of podcast mumbo-jumbo magic behind the scenes, but we made plans to try to get the story to you other ways. There were conflicts, deaths in the family, medical complications that made it difficult for her to speak, and our last texts in the week before she passed were about how best to steward this story. Would I read words she'd written? Maybe the beautiful eulogy she had written and delivered for her husband. Would I fill in the blanks with her sister? The morning after Brooke died, I opened my computer to hear her voice again. It's been such a source of peace and comfort for me. And to my absolute astonishment, the files were totally restored. They still looked to be silent, but her voice was there. Her story was there. I know we throw the word miracle around a lot, but it felt miraculous to me, and it still does. You're going to hear about how Brooke saw heartache as an opportunity to display the Lord's strength, that she did not see herself as an inspiration or an incredibly strong woman. She saw herself as someone who recognized God's provision every day, and that it it was new. His mercies were there every day, 
and that peering around the corner at what might come next was not going to serve her or her family. I'm hopeful that this story provides you as much hope and joy as it did me. I hope that you are gracious as you listen. This is a relatively unconventional episode and maybe logistical side chats that I would have with a guest are left in because I wanted you to know a little bit more about Brooke and I know that she wouldn't want the perfectionist in me to hold back her story. So you get to spend a few hours with someone I loved very much. We will have lots of questions about this episode, lots of thoughts, and I hope that you'll find me up but not all at once so we can process it together. I hope that you will look up the verses she referenced, listen to the songs that she talked about, and that you would get to know someone we hold very dear. It seems incredibly appropriate that this would happen the week of her birthday. Brooke and Justin Turner's three beautiful children are nine, nine, and eight. They live with their Aunt Liz and Uncle John and three cousins, and they are loved and prayed for by many, many people who may have never met them. I hope that you will join that number. And if you want to support the days and years ahead for them as they navigate this new chapter in their lives, you can visit tinyurl.com slash give to Team Turner. In the meantime, meet my friend Brooke. Well, I am so excited. I'm thrilled to have my friend Brooke with us today. Um, Brooke and I were just joking before we started recording that she's someone who's lived kind of 12 lives in like the last decade. I mean, we're trying to narrow down all the things that we could talk about because it's it's been a lot of life, a lot of life condensed into it a small has season. Been. So Brooke, we are going to do our best to just, we'll, we'll just have you back for like 25 episodes. You can walk us through <laughs> all the many chapters. <laughs> It'll become the Brooke Turner podcast. It'll be so great. And um, until then, for just your first episode, can you tell everybody who you are? Well, thanks so much for having me, Anne. Sorry, it's taken so long for us to get together, Absolutely. but it's just a true gift to be able to share what the Lord has done in my life and um, any chance I get to share my story and point to Jesus, um, who is my hope, um, that is a blessing. So thank you for this opportunity. For a little bit of background on who I am today, um, my name is Brooke Turner, and I am the mom of three incredible blessings, Sam, Selah, and Hannah. Sam and Selah are twins. Um, they are nine, and they are about to start the fourth grade. And Hannah is my baby, and she's seven, and she will be in second grade here pretty soon. Um, And they are just amazing, amazing kiddos. Um, And then I am um, a woman who loves God's Word. um, I've been a student of God's Word for about 10 years now, and I'm a Bible teacher, and um, love to share the hope that the Lord has planted in my heart from the beginning. Um, I'm a Christian and um, have an amazing family and amazing community here in Columbia, South Carolina. And the Lord has taken me on an amazing, incredible, hard, beautiful, sorrowful journey, all the things over the past um, really 10 years or so. Um, So can't wait to 
dive in and share. So Brooke, I met you. It's probably better not to do the math. That's it was a right. lot of years ago. Yes. It was like, I think I was in the fifth grade mm-hmm. and we went to the same church when we were growing up. So I know your family. I know that you grew up um, in what I would say was a really wonderful mm-hmm. community of people. And I would love to hear just a smidge about your background before we dive in a little bit more. Yes. And I was trying to think about that too. And I just can't even remember life before Anne, Anne <laughs> Smith. And I'm still trying to remember you as Anne Smith. But um, yes. it's, yeah, we've known each other forever. And um, I grew up in a family of faith. My parents took me to church faithfully. We went to um, a Baptist church that was um, in my hometown, and we sat under um, good biblical preaching and teaching and had the sweetest youth group. Um, Yes. Just an amazing group. I mean, I still have such fond memories of those years of my life. We'd go to summer camp and sing all the songs and do all the things that— you know, Baptist would do, and it was just precious. A <laughs> Eat precious, all the fried chicken. Yeah, of course. That's right. And um, I made a profession of faith as a child. I can't even remember the exact year, but um, I will say that um, those years I did not appreciate in in the depth that I do now as an adult. Um, I, I When I think back on them, I really think of them as just foundations of my life, singing the hymns and going to church and hearing about the character of God long before I ever knew what it would truly mean in my life. Um, When you sing, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning, new mercies I see. Um, As a child and as a middle schooler and high schooler, those words um, don't hold a lot of weight. But as a I won't say my age, but middle-aged woman who has been through. <laughs> I first of all, I reject middle age. That is <laughs> That's right. Okay, and I feel personally attacked. <laughs> yes, well, um, a young spring not... chicken. Yeah, there you go. So, um, but I was grateful for that. But I will say that I did not start truly walking or having tr- truly walking with the Lord or having a true daily relationship with him until my mid twenties. And that was a point in my life that was a clear turning point in my life, um, where I think of before and after. So where I really am thankful for those years, um, my life wasn't truly, um, impacted as much until my mid twenties. So before that transformation, you went away to college Mm -hmm. and I know that we, there was a lot of focus where we were growing up about loaned values versus owned values. The idea being Mm, that, mm -hmm. you know, your parents can take you to church and do all of the things, but until there's really a transformation in you, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not really something that is going to shape your life. So you went to Clemson Mm -hmm. and were as overachieving go-gettery. That's not an adjective. I just made it one. You are as go-gettery as they come with visions of really doing big things outside of, you know, Clemson is not a bustling metropolis. So of kind of a different life when you finish school. That's, that's right. I did go to Clemson and I was very involved on campus there um, and majored in finance and really just had visions of a life in a big city, climbing the corporate ladder, and um, 
just doing the career thing. And I, I never, I always thought I'd get married and children were definitely part of thoughts of my future, but my life wasn't centered around those thoughts. It was more centered around my career and wanting to climb the, the corporate ladder. But um, as I think back on those years, I think that I was holding tightly to my dreams and not to God's dreams for my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting because I so clearly remember points in my college life, and I can remember where I was sitting or where I was standing and feeling the presence of the Lord overwhelm me so, so much and Him speak to me, not in an audible voice, but in that voice that you cannot deny so loudly in my spirit. And and His whisper would be, um, would be, I have so much more for you. You're just scratching the surface of this life. And, um, and there's just so much more, just that phrase, so much more would, would be the same phrase, um, that I would always hear from him. And, but, but then I would say, or not, I would, I mean, I would look at my life and say, but look at all that I would have to, to turn away from or give up. And ultimately it was, I didn't want to surrender my life or my dreams completely. I wanted to hold on to just that little piece of it. When you're that age, when you're, you know, 20, 22, 23, you're thinking, but so much more is what I'm dreaming of, right? Right. It's being promoted and it's living in a big city and it's people knowing Mm -hmm. how smart and capable and talented I am. And that's the so much more. I mean, it's like, what is it C.S. Lewis says about like a child mm-hmm. playing making mud pies, pies and not understanding the, the concept of right <laughs> yeah of going not on holiday like I, I holiday don't at go. the seashore yes that's right, right. that you sounds no terrible idea. look right. what i'm doing right here this is amazing right. this is really fun yeah yes and it's a very limited view mm-hmm. but obviously we knew everything at 20 and 22 so it was fine yeah, exactly <laughs> nobody can tell you anything that's right. so you get this great job at ge it's laying mm-hmm. the groundwork It's a really prestigious program. You're going to travel, you know, spend six months in different cities, Uh travel the world. It's really a stepping stone to exactly the future that you'd envisioned. Exactly. Just as I had planned. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) It was great. I mean, it was fantastic. I am so grateful for my years at GE. It was a very intense program, very challenging work environment for those who work at GE who might be listening to this if there is anyone who has the time. (laughs) <laughs> um, it, they're, they're nodding their heads. It's, right. it's, it's a very challenging work environment, but I didn't know anything else. I mean, I knew of studying till all hours of the night so I could make really good grades. And so this was just, I once again, um, playing right into my plans. And, um, it was interesting because I had dreamed of living overseas and I got that opportunity on my third rotation. So about a year into the program, I got to live in Austria for six months, not Australia. Some people are like, Oh, cool. Um, did you throw some shrimp on the Barbie? I'm like, no, Austria. (laughs) I'm like the, the one of the South of Germany. Right. They live in the Alps. There's shrimp there. um, Surely they import something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So we, um, big difference there, but it was incredible. It was just, but the interesting thing was I was pulled out of everything and I was really alone. Um, I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was lonely because I was around a lot of people, but I had, had a really interesting, um, chance to pull back. I had an opportunity 
in Austria to spend a lot of time by myself. And I would even travel by myself on the weekends. I would go to Switzerland or I would um, go to Salzburg or different places. And I just remember journaling so much. And I still have those journals and they're pretty funny to read. But just journaling about the kind of man I wanted to marry one day and... um, did you have a list? Because you seem like a list I, maker. I think, yeah, I did. <laughs> I absolutely had a list. <laughs> it's funny. Some of the things that are on there, um, I laugh at now. But the foundation was I wanted the man to be a godly man. And I wanted, um, I, I had this list of attributes. And then I realized I'm not really living the kind of life that that type of man would really be drawn towards. Because, oh, yes, I... Yeah, you know, I went to church as a, as a kid and grew up, and I wouldn't say I was anyone that the world would think was living a crazy, you know, crazy sinful life, but I knew in my heart that I wasn't where the Lord wanted me to be and that I was chasing after my own dreams. I just, I had that conviction in my heart that I wasn't who I needed to be or where I was with God that I needed to be. So I spent a lot of time just in prayer and in journaling And I just remember, and I was involved in a church um, back before I left in Atlanta, and and I had gotten involved in a small group, and I just remember thinking, as soon as I get home, I'm going to jump back into that church and go to every singles event that I can, because it was a a church with a lot of young people, singles, um, Buckhead Church in Atlanta, so I just remember, I'm going to go to every single single thing there is, and I'm going to meet a godly man. That was my plan. And God had other plans. And so did your dad. My dad did too. So part of this, um, part of this opportunity at GE involved taking corporate classes through GE. So they were kind of some people likened it to getting a corporate MBA. Mm-hmm. So I had to travel back fr- back from Europe once a month back to Atlanta to take classes. And on one of these visits, the one in October specifically of 2003, I decided to tack on a trip to see my parents in Columbia the same weekend. So I flew home. I went to my classes in Atlanta. And then that weekend, I drove home to see my parents in Columbia, South Carolina. And my dad had been talking to me for a little while about this guy that had worked at at his office. And I would just roll my eyes. It's like, there's the nicest young man. And he, um, and he likes Dave Matthews' band, just like you do. And so that we was should just the one thing that we had in common. Right now, Dad, that sounds yeah, like a perfect exactly. Match. Yeah, bless him. Exactly, but I, you know, was like rolling my eyes, like, okay, Dad. I mean, he lives in Columbia. I don't ever plan to really live there again. Um, and so, I think it was even on my way home, he told me that he had invited this quote unquote nice young man out to the house. <laughs> <laughs> out to my parents' house, and they lived on a lake. And and he said, yeah, he's coming over. Well, he may or may not, but I have invited him, and I'm not sure if he's coming or not. But um, And the story that Justin was told was that there was a cookout. And, um, Which by that one he was definition, invite, I guess you know, Inviting was. Justin to this cookout. Yeah, there was a cookout. It was for my sister's birthday. So my, I think it, my aunt, my grandmother... Um, my mom, you know, all sorts of family was there. And oh, Justin, long story I'm just short, <laughs> imagining him rolling up to essentially a small family gathering. That's right. Yeah. So he had no idea. And I had, 
I just had no idea what God had planned from that first meeting, but he fit right in with my family and really and truly from that first time we met. Sorry. That's okay. From the first time that we met on my parents' porch, I just knew that he was the one. That was it. It was it. First of all, it says so much about a man that he doesn't turn around and get back in his vehicle and travel <laughs> right. as soon as he gets exactly. the lay of the land and figures out, wait, I've, I've been given some false and yeah. misleading information. That's right. Exactly. And my dad doesn't remember it that way. He's like, I don't remember telling him it was it was a company cookout. And I think I said, well, it was the lack of information <laughs> that he assumed. Of course, no man, who, who would think that it would just be a family party? But God was sovereign over that. And he and Justin wasn't even planning to come. But it was there was even some interesting turns of events that day that that made him kind of get there. So we we needed to meet. And that was the way that the Lord um, allowed for it. And it gives you a million reasons, a million reasons to make fun of your dad for the rest of your life. Yeah, exactly. I love that. So it's, it is fun. But we, um, so we dated the, the first few months of our relationship. I was still flying back and forth to Europe and those were in the days of calling cards. So I remember using tons of calling cards and, um, then my last rotation was in Atlanta. So then we were commuting from Columbia to Atlanta every weekend to visit each other. And um, after my pro, after my work was over, instead of taking an off-program job with GE, I um, decided to leave GE and get a job in Columbia so that we could be closer. And um, we were definitely talking towards marriage at this point and... Um, we were excited to be in the same city. And that was not how you had envisioned things not shaking out. But obviously, that was a plan that came together really beautifully. And things mm-hmm. moved to marriage, I mean, re- relatively quickly. You know, mm-hmm. you guys didn't date for, for 100 years. That's right. We got engaged um, right around the time that we'd been dating for a year. And then the next May, we got married. It was May of 2005. We got married. And what did you imagine that life looked like from there? Obviously, you've already kind of shifted your dreams and your goals um, to kind of incorporate mm-hmm. Justin and shift out of traveling and big cities. Mm-hmm. And what what did you imagine would come next? I think I just thought that I would... Um, I would work in the corporate world for a little while and then maybe have children and maybe at that point kind of decide what was next for me, whether I would work part-time or continue working full-time. I think the Lord was slowly starting to change my heart um, and lay down my dreams. I mean, leaving the job at GE was a huge, huge thing in that, in that way um, because I had such a great opportunity there. So um, I didn't have clear dreams at that point. I was just kind of thinking, well, I'll, you know, I had a good, a good, job, a really good job in Columbia, and we just continue forward with that and see what happened next. But um, and it was right around that time that the Lord really opened my eyes to how little of the Christian faith I was really living out or walking in, 
Um, it was actually December 18th, 2006, because I, I have the journal <laughs> to prove it. And, um, and just pray, yeah, praying, Lord, um, I want to be a different person. I, I knew people. I had had people in my life and even some amazing women that had discipled me early on. Um, and I wanted, I mean, I wanted the faith of their, like, I wanted their faith. I knew that they had something that I didn't have. And I wasn't going to get it without a relationship with the Lord and a true relationship and walking with Him. So I just cried out like a child and said, Lord, I know that I am not, I'm not walking in a relationship with you right now. And please help me. And I confessed um, my years of ignoring his, um, his still small voice in my life and, it was just some, like something shifted in my life, and I felt like a different person. I just remember thinking, oh, my goodness, I get it now. Like I get what all those things that I'd heard about all my life in a youth group, in a high school, and even in college, you know, when I was kind of doing my thing and everyone, <laughs> others, other people were, were experiencing college in a different way. I thought, I get it now. I get it. Yeah. And life was totally different after that. So that's about a year and a half into marriage. How does that mm-hmm. change you know, obviously you and your husband by then are in a groove and kind of have a, just a day-to-day normal of what marriage looks like. So how does that look when you have a partner, when your life changes that much in an instant, what was that conversation like with Justin or what came next for the two of you? Yeah, it was, um, it was different. There were a lot of difficult parts that came with that relationally because Justin didn't have an overnight transformation like that. He was a Christian and he had been raised in a Christian home and he had an experience very similar to mine growing up, but, um, he didn't have this aha spiritual moment on December 18th. Um, and so exactly. Yes. And so, um, I think I really pridefully expected him to just completely understand it and to, to be there right there with me. And he had to really, um, I had to be really patient with him because so many things about me and I would even say not so much my, my core personality, but just the things that I desired changed. Um, and it's not that we were going out, you know, and doing crazy things all the time. And all of a sudden we had to stop that. It's just, um, I was different. And so he was patient with me and I was patient with him, but it didn't come without, some, some tough moments and some tough days. So in that time, did the two of you start to think about growing your family? We did. And, um, at this point after, um, after I had that spiritual transformation, I do remember not having a desire anymore to grow my career. And I'm not trying to say that all of a sudden that was not a good thing. It's just in my own life that's not what I was called to anymore. And so I remember having some conversations about what would it look like if we had children for me to stay home one day. And it just seemed so out of possi- out, out of the realm of possibility financially right. from our two corporate salaries to going to one. Um, so I began to pray and we did start to talk about having children, but, um, I just didn't know um, what that was going to look like with my desire at this point to stay home with them. 
But again, the Lord had other plans because we started trying to conceive and it took us a lot longer than we thought. Of course, I thought, oh, well, you know, you start trying to have a baby and, you know, in a couple months you're pregnant. And it did not happen for us in that way. 100% of the time. Us, you know, it does for some people, but definitely not for, for our family. Um, which was, you know, looking back, it was so, oh my goodness, it was so, so hard. But, um, we ended up going through about three years of infertility, but, um, from the time around the time we started to the time we had children. But I would say looking back that time was such a gift and in the, in the middle of it, I would not have probably said that, but Number one, it grew my faith so much, and it caused me to be so dependent on God and learn so much more of His Word and just to really dig in and say, I need to reconcile this really hard thing with who the Bible and who I've always known for you to be, God. These two things don't seem to be the same, but um, what does this mean in my life? Um, So, But then the second reason is because it really allowed for— for the career thing to play out in the way that would allow me to ultimately kind of be a stay-at-home mom. So at that point, you took a leap of faith in Mm -hmm. an entirely different, I mean, I would say finance and the world that you had been in in a corporate position is kind of one part of your brain. (laughs) And then Mm -hmm. you just did a 180 into a far more creative Mm -hmm. and independent and you know, a far less regimented field where there's really no clear path. Mm-hmm. You took a leap. Exactly. I did. So after we got married, um, I don't really know what led me to do this, but I had always been interested in photography. And I started taking nighttime classes at our local community college um, in photography just to really learn how to work a camera, a real camera. Um, I never knew anything about aperture or um, – how to focus those things or deal with lenses or any of that. So I just took a class and one of our assignments, I think we needed to take some pictures of a live subject. So I think I asked maybe some friends of mine that had children to take some pictures of their kid. And of course got a lot of people who were willing to let me try that. Absolutely. Here's my baby. Take a picture. That's right. And I'm like, I'll give you the pictures for free. I just really need something to practice on or someone to practice on. And come to find out, I was pretty good at it. Um, <laughs> and after, after I would do that for a little while, then um, people started asking me to do weddings. And at first I said, no, no, this is this is crazy. Weddings are way too much responsibility. I mean, I can redo a portrait, but I cannot redo your wedding. Right. Um, I can see that. That would be really I, intimidating. <laughs> it is very intimidating. But I remember I did my first wedding, and I did it because uh, it was uh, – um, a sweet girl I had grown up with in church, and they told us that if I hadn't, if I didn't do their wedding pictures, then they were going to have, I think, their uncle or someone who didn't know anything about who photography. Didn't know what aperture so, was either. That's right. So I thought, well, I mean, at least I kind of know what I'm doing. Um, so I got a little bit of equipment and did it. And you know, I look back at those pictures now, or I don't even know if I can look back at them, but I remember seeing them at some point and thinking, oh my heavens, um, those are horrible. All the things you would do differently. That's right. But it was a great springboard and, um, word got around and the first year I think I charged virtually nothing, um, which 
I didn't make any money, but I made enough money just to buy some more equipment. Every penny I made, I reinvested into my business. And at this point, I had gone part-time at work. Um, My company allowed me to do that. And then eventually, I just quit altogether because the amount that I was making, I, I my my business was being hindered by my corporate job. Um, there's only so many hours in a day. Right. So, and at that point, this was before you had children, right? So this is kind of that's right. a dream in terms of shifting your mm-hmm. personal life to make it more baby it friendly for y'all. Exactly. Exactly. So, and I never really started in that down that way with that in mind, but it really did work out well that I could make my own schedule and um, take on as many or few clients as I wanted. And yeah, so eventually it it was great to be a photographer and um, have a family at at the same time. And, um, and just also just all the clients that I got to work with in those years. Um, I mean, I did weddings, I did family portraits. I did children's portraits. I did a little bit of everything. And that's a time where you really, I mean, you're letting people into your life. Like you're taking a picture mm -hmm. of my newborn or of me on my happiest day. And that's a really sweet time to get to know Mm -hmm. someone. It is. And I just connected with so many people and even some, um, some people I still keep in pretty close contact with and who have joined Bible studies. I mean, a Bible study that I help to lead now even one of my brides is in my small group and it's I just such a joy and I forget sometimes brides. that that's how I know her. I love that. I know I'm but it's funny because I forget that that's how I met her like to now she's just a friend of mine right. but I'm like oh that's how she got connected with this group is because I did her wedding and how crazy is that? But you were letting someone in at such a vulnerable time. I mean either mm-hmm. you are a bride who's trying to hold it together before she walks down the aisle or you're, you know, the mom of a newborn who's got wet hair and big bags under her eyes when the photographer arrives. So either way, it's a pretty vulnerable spot. It is, but it was such an honor to be allowed into those spaces with, with those brides and those clients. And then after that time, that season of waiting for you, I remember you talked about it being kind of like in the waiting room. Mm-hmm. To become a mom. Yes. It was absolutely your time. Mm-hmm. Yep. We had waited for so long and gone through different infertility treatments. And finally, in the fall of 2009, I got the best news of my life that, um, mm. that I was pregnant. This just gives I me a little finally saw, <laughs> I know. Me too. Just thinking about it. I can still remember the joy, the joy of those moments and seeing those two lines for the first time when (laughs) all I had seen was one line for years, for months and months and months. And so many people who are listening know exactly what I'm talking about. When you just see that one line for month after month after month after month and every month you're hopeful and then every month you're disappointed and I had gotten to a point where I didn't really know if that was going to be God's plan for us, but um, but it was, and it doesn't always end up that way, but I'm thankful that it did in, in my case. Um, but I do, I will say that the Lord had taught me so much in those um, years about Him and 
he really opened my hands and took me to a much deeper place in my walk with him. And um, now I know that that was preparing me for, um, for the other parts of my journey that were yet to come. So you saw these two lines and Mm -hmm. then you saw two heartbeats. That's right. A double portion. A double portion. Yes. That was, um, we could not believe it. That was a tremendously happy time for a lot of people who'd Mm -hmm. been praying for your family. And especially Mm -hmm. because you have a younger sister who's a year and Mm -hmm. a half younger than you and was expecting her first baby Mm -hmm. um, due within months of when you found out you were expecting your twins. That's right. Yes. And the, in June of 2009, she had told me she was pregnant and it was, I think the first time that she got to be first Mm -hmm. in something. And, um, my heart was equally, um, rejoicing and excited for her, but also breaking for us at the same time. And it's interesting how one heart can hold all those emotions at the same time. Emotions can coexist. Yes, exactly. But it, it was so true. Um, but the Lord just, I think, and even now looking back, it was a gift that she got to do it first. Um, because as the big sister, it was usually me doing everything <laughs> first. Um, so yes, that was, it was just a really joyful time for our family and for, for both of us. So the babies come and they are mm-hmm. perfect and precious. And yep. after all that waiting, do you think it made the craziness and the chaos of bringing two tiny little people, helpless little humans home from the hospital a little bit more manageable, joyful, put in perspective? I definitely think it helped put it in perspective. I don't know if it erased any of the crazy (laughs) or the hormones or all of that. Um, I do think there was some of those feelings of, um, I waited so long for this. I can't, I'm not allowed to have any, negative feelings Mm. or any feelings that this isn't all the time. Awesome. Um, and it wasn't all the time. Awesome. (laughs) I mean, you know, they're with twin. Well, you know what it's like with one with twins. It's just, it's doubly hard. Um, And your first time is is pretty hard, whether you have (laughs) Mm -hmm. 0.5 babies or, or all the babies. So, and the thing is, even if it's hard, it's still, you know, you still are thankful. You're so, you wouldn't take it back, but you would take a couple Mm -hmm. hours sleep. So true. Just a minute. Yes. And we were, um, we were so regimented. Um, we, we were very, very scheduled. Um, I'm sure that's how you survived. Justin and I had a calendar. We did. We survived with our naps. I mean, the whole, you, when one sleeps, the other sleeps, that is, that is true. That was the only way that we survived because there was one day that I didn't do that. And it was the worst day oh. because it was literally putting one down, waking one up. There was never a moment where they both, where there wasn't one that was sleeping. But, um, but we, we just worked together very well. And I think this was a time in our, in our marriage that, um, we learned to truly become partners. Um, we had a schedule where he would um, he would let me sleep every day between because um, I was pumping. I couldn't nurse, but I was pumping, and then I would feed the babies a bottle, um, and so that made it even harder because then it's um, washing all the pumping materials, right. and then also having to pump, but then also having to feed them the it's bottle. Continuous. So that adds 
yeah, it's continuous. But from seven to midnight every day, I would get to sleep. And, um, and he would stay up till midnight. And then from midnight, you know, on, that was kind of, I was on duty again. But just those few hours of sleep allowed me to press on for the next day. It truly, it was. when you're that sleep deprived, it's a magical time. It really was. So what was it like to see Justin as a dad for the first time? It was amazing. <laughs> he, um, I'll never forget watching it, watching him walk out of the um, operating room holding one baby in each arm and um, just really watching him um, just be the dad that I knew that he would be was amazing. I can picture that photograph in my mind when mm-hmm. you say that because it is, it's so memorable to see this just mm-hmm. mix of pride and awe and joy. Um, and I know I know that's something you'll never forget. And I love that your kids get to yeah. see it too. That your kids get to have those memories. Who captured those pictures for you? Because I know you were otherwise yeah. occupied in the <laughs> I was. And I had um, made some really sweet relationships relationships with other photographers through the years. And um, Brantley Freeman, um, her company was all dressed up photography, um, was my photographer for the day. And beautifully captured the day from the time that I got there and we just um, started monitoring the babies and um, to all the way to coming out of the operating room and capturing that picture of Justin, but then also pictures of the people, the, the huge group that had gathered in the hallway and seeing everyone's reaction as Justin walked out. So she somehow got all of that at the same time and was just, I mean, those pictures are priceless. I'm so thankful you got those. And I will absolutely post one, actually, when this episode goes up, because I guarantee people are going to want to see that face. I can just see that smile. You know, it's not like a Mm -hmm. full-on ear-to-ear grin. It's like this just joyous, contented, but also, wow. Wow. Yeah. It's a beautiful moment. So I'm really thankful for that. Yes, it was. Yeah. And here you are, you have two new babies, and I'm sure at that point, infertility mm-hmm. kind of goes to the back burner in your mind in terms of That's growing right. your family. Mm-hmm. You'd worked so hard for so long. And so did you think, okay, we're just going to, we're going to cruise for a while. We're going to just Yeah, to I thought, you season. know, we're going to raise these, yeah, raise these babies and um, by God's grace, do the best we can and teach them um, and tra- train them up to hopefully love the Lord and um you know, we didn't really, we were, we didn't really um, think that we'd ever be able to conceive outside of a medical intervention. And right. we were told there was such a small chance of that ever happening. And, um, and we, you know, we had the babies, they were, um, we were just holding on, you know, for dear life <laughs> for the first year. And um, we went to the beach right around their first birthday and took, took another set of sweet uh, family pictures with, Kim Graham out of Charleston. Yeah. And when we got back, I remember just feeling not so, not just not great. And Justin was like, you're pregnant. It's like, there's no way. He was like, I just know you're pregnant. And I was like, no. And then I think a couple days later, he brought home a test on the way home from work well, that's and bold. forced me to take it. <laughs> yeah. And he forced me to take it. And he said, um, he just was so confident. And I was like, there's no this way. This is going to be one, and, one line. 
Yeah, I know. I was like, I said, we have wasted so much money. And, and that's, this is the way to talk to him about, you know, because he was, he was very frugal. Um, and I said, we have wasted so much money on these preg- pregnancy tests for the years. I cannot believe. They are not. That's right. I said, I cannot believe you just spent $13 on this. But he forced me to take it. And, and sure enough, there words. were two lines. That's right. There were two lines. And he... His response and my response was a little bit different. Um, I said, oh, my goodness, Lord, I think you have healed my body. Because um, come to find out, I had I had um, stage 4 endometriosis, and that was a lot of my issue with conceiving the first time. But um, he said something a little bit different. I don't remember the exact words, but it, it wasn't that. Because nope. um, <laughs> we had just given each other a high five and said, We've made right. it. Like we we've made it through the. Yeah, we survived the first year of twins. Um, just kidding. Yeah, just <laughs> kidding. So now um, here I am with twin one-year-olds, and I'm pregnant. And um, we learned it was going to be a girl, Sweet. and um, we named her Hannah. And um, she was born in February of 2016, and she is. Our best surprise has been the best surprise of our lives. She is, and I will never forget because she was born the day that we came home with our daughter, Mary Brooks, and Hannah's middle name is Brooks. Mm, yep. Which is this, it was the sweetest mm-hmm. time because in that same time frame, as though you planned it, your sister also had another baby. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> She did. I think it was. I think it's nineteen days before Hannah. She had Lainey. So you could we not had have scheduled this better if there had been medical <laughs> intervention. That's crazy town. I think the way the story is is she called me to tell me she was pregnant. Yes. And then later that day, I called her to tell her I was pregnant. I do remember hearing that story because she called to tell me she was pregnant. And I said, oh, well, I am also pregnant. And she said, well, that's cool because Brooke is pregnant. And I had a, a one-year-old in the back seat and forgot that he was back there and yelled, shut up at the top of my lungs. And yeah. as one-year-olds tend to do, we sat around our dinner table and said our sweet little blessing. And Max said, hey, daddy, shut up. <laughs> I thought, Great. Thank you, Brooke, for introducing oh. this phrase into our lives. But you know what? It was worth it. It was. I nearly ran off. Of I've never heard that story. Thank you for sharing that. Surprise. That's precious. <laughs> it was a happy surprise. Um, there was a lot of swelling that winter. <laughs> a lot of large mm-hmm. and in charge ladies. A whole lot. And it was a good That's time right. to. I mean, you ended up though with three babies, twenty months and younger. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a lot. That's of, right. That's a lot of babies. If I had told you that before you got that first positive pregnancy test, like there will be a point at which you have three children in diapers and you think, holy wow, I need a minute. I think you would have laughed in my face. Oh, yeah, I totally would have. I thought I would have thought no way. But at the same time, I would have probably stopped and thought, you know, that's just like the Lord to give us more <laughs> than we could ask or imagine in abundance. That is so like our God. So I think I would have like laughed and been like, no, and then thought, that's totally just like God. And then you're at this phase in your life, and one of the wisest things I think you've ever said to me, and I've thought you were wise since like I was 10 and you were 11, and you were like imparting (laughs) middle school wisdom on me or something. But one of the wisest things you've ever said to me that has really 
informed how I look at some of the lowercase h hard days of parenting, just the regular old busy hard, Mm -hmm. is that sometimes it's not about hard or about figuring it out, but about managing your blessings, like realizing, Mm -hmm. okay, look at this really full plate and they are all magnificent gifts. And now we just figure out a way that the Lord is going to give us what we need to manage this. This isn't hard. This is wonderful. It's just a lot of wonderful. I mean, three kids Mm -hmm. under two is a lot of wonderful. Yes. And I had to preach that to myself and I still have to preach that to myself too sometimes (laughs) that like distinguishing, making that distinction between hard, true hard and just managing blessings because we often do, um, get those too confused, especially when you're tired and you're hormonal Mm -hmm. and there, you haven't gone to the bathroom by yourself in a couple of years. Yes. It can get tricky to discern that. So Mm -hmm. you're in that season, you're managing your blessings. You have these three beautiful little brunettes under your roof. Mm -hmm. And what comes next for your family of five? So um, back in 2009, before I had children, um, it was actually February of 2009. I specifically remember it. I sensed during a time of worship, I sensed a call to ministry. And at this point, we had been struggling with infertility for a little while. And so I really thought that maybe this was why we hadn't gotten pregnant. Um, you know, I'm trying to figure figure God out and figure all this out right. in this moment of time. And I thought, well, maybe we're called to international missions. And I went home and told my husband, told Justin, I said, like, I think I might know why we're not getting pregnant because I just really sensed a call for us to step into ministry or for me to step into ministry and maybe for us to step into ministry. And he said, uh, I'm, I'm not sensing that call. Like, I'm not, cause I'm not sensing the call to become a missionary, you know, in a foreign land. And, um, and he's the most pragmatic person I know, pra- practical. And so I, you know, you really have to know him to fully appreciate that. But I thought, oh, okay, well, but I really sense a call into ministry. Um, And during, I will have to say, during that time, um, I also started an in-home Bible study and some of the sweetest, sweetest times of my life. I remember sitting um, around in my living room of my, the first house I shared with Justin, a small little house, but we filled up that living room with with, um, chairs in in a circle. (laughs) And I just didn't really know what I was doing, but I started leading Bible studies and it was just different people that I knew. Um, some of my clients joined people from high school years, people from college, all, you know, people I knew in, in my corporate career, just different people would come and we would fill my living room up and people would stay for hours and hours and hours. And we would just talk about, um, we'd study the word and we would just share what God was doing in our lives. And we were all just growing so much together. It was just such a fertile time in my life. Um, spiritually speaking. Um, but around that same time, I felt a call to ministry. And so anyway, then, you know, I start having babies and I was like, okay, well, I don't really know what this looks like. Um, I continued to lead Bible studies in my home, but then, um, I was asked to start teaching in a Bible study I had been at involved in at my church, which is Northeast Presbyterian church in Columbia. We have a Bible study that serves about 200 women. Um, but then we break into small groups and then you gather back together for a time of teaching. And I was invited by the women's ministry director to serve as a teacher of that Bible study. 
And I could not scary? believe it. I was shocked. I was humbled. Yeah. It was so scary. But she had she had um, seen a teaching gift in me. And we she and I had developed a relationship. And she was starting to um, really speak into my life and mentor me. And um, she had really seen this gift of teaching in my life and wanted me to strengthen it by using it to exercise it. And I was scared shocked, humbled, all the feelings. (laughs) She actually asked me on my birthday. Um, I think it was my 33rd birthday. And I thought this is really the best gift because, um, finally, like after, since, you know, I guess about four years, I been waiting to see what ministry was going to look like in my life. And I felt like it had kind of hit, I had hit the pause button because I was having babies and my ministry was really just these little babies and my husband in my home, which that's certainly a ministry too. And that's sure. definitely a not, I mean, that is, that is more of the ministry than I ever, you know, ever could have asked for. But, um, but I also sensed that God had a teaching gift and he wanted to use it. So, so you're making um, sense of kind of this yes. nudge that you felt years before. That's right. And, um, and then in 2014, that the women's ministry director that had poured into me got a call to, to serve in another ministry, and I um, was called into that position and accepted that position to serve as women's ministry director of my church, and that's a staff position, and it was a part-time position. So at this point, my children are, I think, four and four, four and three, maybe. Um, Which still sounds crazy, so, by the way. Four, four, yeah, and three. It, wow. Yes, it was. and um, But it was just such a joy. I felt like it was one of those things that I was walking in my calling, um, that God was calling me, that God had placed on my life years years before. Um, I had my, my children. Um, I mean, there was always hard and good with, the, with there, you know, sure. having so many children so cl- so close together. So life was good. Life was really, really good at that point. Um, I was walking in my calling um, for women's ministry, and I was being mama to my three children, being wife to Justin, and I just felt like life could not get any better. And in the spring of 2015, I got the first of what I would call um, a great plot twist in my life. After finding a lump in my right breast, I went to get it checked out. Um, I had a mammogram. I actually was a little bit annoyed because I was hoping my OB would just feel it and tell me it was just like a cyst and to go home and no worries. But I had to go in for a mammogram at that I was age 35. I was like, I really don't have time for this. And I was so confident it was nothing. I went to the, the appointment by myself and I was 35. I was seemingly healthy. A year prior, I had run a half marathon, and so I I was I was doing great, and um, so I went to this this appointment to get a mammogram by myself, and got a mammogram. And by the way, it's not as scary as they make it sound on the internet. Oh, that's good to know. Um, it's really not scary at all. Yeah, it's really it's really not that scary. <laughs> um, and then they said, you know, your breast tissue is really dense because you're young and that's very common. So we're going to gonna do an ultrasound. So I thought, okay, no big deal. Um, so I went in to get an ultrasound and, you know, their faces started to get a little bit more serious. And they said, well, there's just a couple spots that, you know, we're going to get someone to come in and take a deep, a better look at. And then they used the word biopsy. And that's when I got really scared. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm still in this room by myself and a sweet nurse. I just remember holding my hand during the biopsy because that, that part's not, not the best. Um, It's not fun. Um, and I just remember her holding my hand because Justin wasn't there. And, um, and, you know, I remember seeing the face of the physician and I said, well, I know my husband's going to want to know this, but what are the different things that this could be? And he said, well, it could be cancer. And that was the first thing he said. And I thought, wait a minute, this is, this is about to get real. Like this, there's no way, like this can't be happening. Um, and he said, but it could be a couple other things too. Um, so the next day I got a phone call from the nurse navigator and she said the three words that you never think you're going to hear and you certainly never want to hear. And it's, you have cancer. And um, I remember being so heartbroken um, and my mind immediately jumping to my husband and children. Um, But at the same time, and this sounds weird, but I had a deep conviction that God was doing something here and God was God was going to do something through this that beyond what I can even imagine. And I was hopeful. Um, and not even necessarily, I was hopeful in the, I wasn't even hopeful in the medical stuff at that point because I had yet to meet with the physicians and the surgeons and all that. But I was hopeful just knowing that God had chosen me to carry this and what he had entrusted me with this. With what other 35 year olds get told? They have cancer, but he was entrusting me to walk this road of suffering to show what it meant to suffer with faith. And I thought, I am not ready for this. And God said, yes, I have prepared, I have prepared you for this. And, um, he gave me that confidence that I needed that no, I was not going to suffer perfectly, but that he would enable me to glorify him through this journey that I was about to embark on. And you felt that right away. I can truly say I felt that right away in that car. I picked, I picked up, I answered the the phone in my van. I was by myself, thankfully. Um, I had pulled off the road because I knew the number. Like I knew the number coming from that hospital system, and I pulled off. And right away, I I felt that, and um, and I sensed that from God. And I I think I needed that. God was about to take me on a really difficult journey, and I needed that from the very start. Um, and those next few days were a whirlwind and catapulted me into a world like nothing I had ever known. Um, words and phrases and things that um, are commonplace to me now were just so overwhelming. But his presence was so near and those were some of the sweetest days of my life. That's hard to hear. Like it's, it's yes. hard to imagine. It is hard. The sweetest days of my life. Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird for me to even say that, um, even now, but it's, it, I look back at my journals and I mean, I could sit here and spend hours telling you thing after thing, after thing, after thing that would happen that what I just felt so close to the Lord and I felt so carried, almost cocooned in his grace and that's not um, that's not special to me. Like I've talked to so many people who have been in a really difficult situation, and they've experienced that. And it's just the grace of God cocooning me. Um, now there, I mean, there have been some really hard days, and we can get into that too. But 
Um, in those initial days, he just held me so close, and it's almost what, wow. almost like the rest of the world didn't exist because I was so near to him, and that he he is just like the Lord. Um, armored me armored up for me what up. was to come. And so in, you have referred to Justin so many times as your earthly rock. And really from, I mean, mm-hmm. I remember seeing your yes. face the first time you ever talked about him before, before you were even engaged and just knowing, well, this girl's a goner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I think we're done here. And this mm-hmm. is, this is happening yeah. to him besides the physical aspect as much as it is to you. Mm-hmm. How, how was that as one yes. half of a married couple? How was this with him doing it together? It was really hard to see him suffer um, and to see him process um, and to have all the same questions that, that I had. Um, it, it hurt my heart so much just to, to, to witness that. Um, but then also to see him come alongside me in an even more amazing way than he had when we first had twins. It was truly um, incredible to see us become even more partners than we ever thought we, we thought we were even, you know, we thought we were so great before, but now we needed each other so much more. And, um, and he was my earthly rock. Um, and I will say I was his earthly and rock. even in that time, were you helping him bear that burden? I mean, you know, this is your best friend. I think I was. Yes. I think we leaned on each other. And when I needed strength, I leaned on him. And when he needed strength, he leaned on me. And we both leaned on the Lord together. And your babies are still little at this point. Like, not quite are. enough to really mm-hmm. understand. So how did telling yeah. them, and how did telling your family and your and your sister? It was, it was all really... Um, difficult and unique based on who we were talking to. Um, my sister lived in Texas at the time, so that was really hard. I think, it, I mean, I know it was hard for me, and I know it was hard for her being away. Um, yeah. Because we have always been really close. And, of course, my parents were heartbroken, right. but also we're in let's go mode. Like, how can we step in and help? And um, Justin's parents and his family were just as amazing and they were like we're gonna step in and help in any way that we possibly can um my parents live in town and his parents live a couple hours up the road or his um his mom and his stepdad do and his his dad and his stepmom live a few hours even further but they were there um in prayers and in spirit and we just have an um, incredible family and of course our church family um I was women's ministry director at this point. I had been for about six months. And so um, a lot of people knew me and everybody was just ready to, to like, fight. we're going to, yeah. we're going to carry. Yeah. We're going to fight together. And one of my phrases I used early on was we're going to fight with joy, fight for joy and fight with joy. And we are going to do this together. And um, we saw the body of Christ just really serve us and our, of course, our um, family of origin really stepping in such incredible ways. So what did that first whirlwind look like? You're dumped in the deep end of cancer treatments, mm-hmm. learning a new language. I mean, you're earning like an MD at this point, just all the yeah, terms. pretty much. You're learning a foreign language. How, how did that work? What did that first round look like? And what was the scientific, medical, earthly hope 
that was given to you from doctors look like? Yeah, so um, medically speaking, I had stage three cancer. Um, I it had traveled to my lymph nodes, but nowhere else. And um, it was an aggressive form of cancer. And they said I had probably not had it for any more than a couple months, which oh, wow. is crazy to think about. Um, yeah. yeah. And so I was told that it was going to be chemo and, you know, they were going to hit it with the the big guns and then we were going to do surgery and then we were going to do radiation. And then mm-hmm. um, if everything went as planned, this was going to be, you know, a really big um, speed bump in my right. life. And a then we were going to look at it in the rearview mirror. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that was the hope. And, you know, the chemo and the chemo was way harder than I thought um, it was going to be. But we got through it, and I lost my hair, did all of that. Um, Were your children old enough for that to bother them at that point? Yes, it for sure did bother my children, um, definitely. Because, you know, where you would, you know, I could wear wigs and scarves or different things out of the house. When I'm put into bed, I'm not going to wear something on my head. You know, they just want mommy. But at the same time, mommy with no hair can be kind of scary, and it reminds them of what, could be. I mean, we were really honest. We also didn't know what the future was going to hold and we didn't want to, um, you know, say this is every way that this could end, but we did, they didn't know that it was very serious. And of course they knew what cancer meant. I mean, that was a very serious disease. Um, but so May of 2016 came and that was the end of my, it was a full year after I was diagnosed. Um, and, I got great scans. And so that was just a huge celebration. I'm just saying the scans are clear, no evidence of disease. That's what I wanted to hear. No, no evidence of disease. And so everything was going just as planned and we celebrated. I mean, we just were like, thank you, Lord. I mean, this was so hard, but you know, we can move on now. Um, and when was we this? actually, this was May of 2016. Okay. And um, so that next summer, we, that summer, we actually decided that we were going to just live it up. And we called it our redemption summer because the prior summer, the previous summer, I was doing chemo. So we didn't really do hardly anything. I mean, I was sick so much of the summer. Right. And um, so we, we just, we took a vacation. We, and, and I just had such a different perspective on life, even more than I ever had of just gratitude, being grateful for, um, for every small thing. And I just remember even just sitting at a pool with the kids and just saying, this is awesome. Like, this is mm-hmm. so amazing. Thank you, Lord. And, um, the sweet, you know, I just, little things. yeah, the simple things we actually, um, right before I was diagnosed in 2000. 15, we were in talks with a realtor and had started getting ready to put our house on the market. And of course, all that put, was put on pause, put on hold right. when we um, got the diagnosis. So we restarted that process. And that summer we moved into a new home and um, which could accommodate our family better. And um, that was just a blessing. So we called that our redemption house. And we were just so excited for um to put that hard season behind us and just to, to enjoy life again as a family of five without, without cancer being um, a constant guest at the table. 
And what were your hopes and kind of picture for your redemption house? Were you hoping to grow your family? Were you hoping to host other families? What, what was your picture for what that would mean for you? We really did have such a vision for this home to be a home that we could serve others in. The home that we lived in um, before was, um, it was our starter home, so much, much smaller. And we didn't really feel that we could entertain there. We didn't have the room. We certainly didn't have room for guests. And when we moved into this house, we just had such a vision that the Lord wanted us to use this house for hospitality and to be able to host functions um, from church and for um, for different people who might be in need of a place for a place of respite for a little while. We had extra space to house um even an extra family, and we got the opportunity to allow two different families to live with us for um, some time, and that was just such a gift. And um, so it was really fun just just having the vision for this home and, and watching it unfold um, as we had really hoped. And that was a long-awaited season. I mean, you'd fought hard to get it there. It really was. Yeah, it really was. And what came next? You have this moment. Do you, do you let out any breath that you'd been holding? We really did. I mean, we, um, we really just were hopeful um, that, you know, with cancer, there is always the chance of recurrence. But I was not going to live my life in fear. Um, I was going to live my life believing that God had gotten us this far. And whatever He called us to, He was going to equip us and enable us to, um, to walk forward and to be able to, um, to be able to, to get through whatever was ahead. And so in November of that same year, a few concerning changes physically took me back to the doctor. And unfortunately at the end of that year, I was told that my cancer had returned. Um, and unfortunately this time I had returned with a vengeance and I, um, started going to be seen at MD Anderson because my my cancer um, at this point had stead, had spread to my sternum, so it was stage four. And um, so I started um, flying back and forth to MD Anderson because it was just a decision that we made um, to get treated by the best physicians in the country um, to make sure that we. We got, you know, all opinions necessary that we knew exactly what we were working with and that we could get the best treatment possible. So I think there's a lot to talk about there and um, Mm -hmm. time in Texas and that sweet little video when you came home. Yeah, that was the best. They they could still say that was their, the best day of their life. (laughs) And I mean, especially, you know, Mary Brooks and Hannah both started was it kindergarten that year? Yeah, uh-huh. it was. They She started um, kindergarten while I was away. And I was, you know, it just felt very, uh, it was very clear what you were sacrificing and what you were sacrificing for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought that was so critical. And then obviously, um, you know, stuff shifts. So yes. You just jump in. Okay. And I can follow your lead. So at the end of 2016, we had really been celebrating that redemption year and really enjoying some time um, as a family without the um, without cancer being a really big part of our life. And at the end of that year, 
some concerning physical changes, took me back to the doctor and um, come to find out after some testing, we learned that the cancer had returned, but this time it was with a vengeance and it had spread to my sternum. And so that made it stage four cancer. And um, wow. yeah. It, and at that point, had you, had you been prepared for the possibility of something like that happening? Sure. You know, as a cancer patient, um, and when you go through um, the survivorship um, discussions with the doctor, they, they always say recurrence is a possibility. Um, and I knew that, but it definitely was not something that I was dwelling on or, or was constantly worried about. Um, I was just going to take life scan to scan. And, um, and, you know, I was really glad that I was not dwelling on it because I was really able to enjoy those, those months with my family. And especially this summer, I'm sure that that was a beautiful The summer was truly amazing. We called it our redemption summer and we made a lot of memories with the kids. We went on trips because the previous summer I was really sick. So we couldn't, um, when I was going through chemo and, um, it was just such a sweet time in our family. Um, we moved into a new house and, um, really just had the heart to, to, um, open our home to others who may be in between, in between homes and who may need a little place of respite. Um, and we were able to host two different families in our home and it was just really, um, the desires of our hearts. We really started to, um, see come to fruition, um, around that time, we also just, we made the decision to go to MD Anderson, um, just to get a second opinion and to be, um, to be treated by the best physicians in the world. And MD, MD Anderson is a cancer center in Houston, Texas, and it's known to be, um, really just one of the best, if not the best in the world. And so, um, we went out there and the, uh, so I was kind of being seen by the physician, the oncologist in Texas and also the oncologist here and they would work together and they came up with a chemo plan for me, um, for, to start early in 2017. So that started, um, then, and I lost my hair again. I started that infusion chemo and, um, went through several months of that and, um, and then had a surgery. And, and thankfully that was in Columbia that those treatments. And then, um, in that summer I had, a pretty intense surgery in Texas. So we were out there for a couple of weeks then. And then I came home to recover for a little bit. And then they, the next step was radiation. And the challenge was that I had already been radi- irradiated on that same side before. And it's really not ad- advised to do it over again and um, on the same spot. Um, so they said they really wanted to do it at MD Anderson. Um, but that's every day. Radiation treatment is every single day for it to be, um, yeah, for it to, to work the way it's supposed to work. So I had to, we had to make some really tough decisions at that point. And we made the decision for me to move to Texas for 12 weeks for that radiation treatment and work through all sorts of different options. It was during, mostly during the summer, um, of 2017, and we know we talked about my husband moving out there with me. Um, we talked about the kids coming out, you know, the whole family making it a fun adventure. But after looking at everything and, and the finances of every option, we made the decision for me to move out there by myself. 
and um, I had friends come visit me, and I had um, had lots of um, support while I was out there. But that was really, really difficult. I mean, just I missed them like crazy. And I remember when I started, I was thinking, "Oh my goodness, I'll have all the time in the world to read or to journal and to you know read my Bible." And um, and I was still working at this point, so of course I was going to be kind of working from afar. But it was so so hard just to be away from them and to really just kind of be, uh, just watch my life kind of happen from afar, just through the telephone and through FaceTime. And how, I mean, your children at this point are entering the second grade in kindergarten. And so Hannah went to her first day of school, um, of kindergarten with me in Houston. And that was of course, extremely difficult. And, um, really hard as a mom because you want to be the one to walk, you know, to walk them in. Right. So that was hard. But the Lord got us through that. And I came home and actually came home a day early and surprised my children, picked them up from school. And, um, that was, and we took a, a little video of it and it was just the best surprise. Um, and they still say that was the best day of their life. Oh, yeah. That video has to be one of the happiest moments I've seen on Facebook in in a long time. Even if someone had never laid eyes on you in person or even known Mm -hmm. the background, just the sheer shock and joy. I've been waiting for you. Like this is is what I have been waiting for was written all over their faces. It really was. And I was feeling just as excited as they were. Just amazing to be, to finally be home and to, um, get to do life with them again, get to do all the things, you know, life look like that. I mean, after, after you come home, kind of re-enter real life, what, what was the plan medically speaking for you from there on? So medically speaking, um, we were going to scan again in a few months. I think it was maybe end of the year. And, um, and just kind of go from there. We didn't, it's really just kind of one step at a time. And the doctors aren't really at this point talking like in terms of number of years or months to live and things like that. Um, but it's just kind of one step at a time. And I appreciate that because I really feel like that is what the Lord had spoken to my heart is don't try to peer around the bend. Um, and then other women had actually, um, spoken this over me just just take things one day at a time and trust that the Lord is going to provide what you need today and then tomorrow. And that's all that we are called to do. We are not called to try to figure out um, every single way that this could end and, and how this is going to work out in your family, but one day at a time. So I was thankful that they really didn't try to go down every single possibility with me. And I think that was one of the lessons, you know, you did a few Facebook lives while Mm -hmm. you were in Houston. And so Obviously, I was astounded that you would use your free time that way, you know, while you were there away from your family. Mm -hmm. And so many of us who joined these Facebook lives took this lesson away, I'm sure. What I remember most of all is that phrase about peeking around the corner. I just have this Mm -hmm. mental image because that is so my tendency to just Mm -hmm. thanks for what's right here and now. But let me just go ahead and get a little sneak peek and anticipate what my needs are going to be. Go ahead and worry Mm -hmm. about how we can fill the voids and the gaps that are coming down the road. Mm -hmm. And your message that you just had on your heart at that point was 
you know, his mercies are new every morning. His grace mm-hmm. is enough for whatever comes. There's no need to peer around that corner. And it's one thing mm-hmm. for, you know, a sweet and well-intentioned 22 year old to, to speak this to her friends, you know, like we used to do in mm-hmm. our little sorority Bible studies, but it's <laughs> yep. all together when this is someone who, I mean, like we said, the rubber meets the road, you're mm-hmm. MD Anderson and you're saying, Hey guys, this is the real deal. Mm-hmm. I am learning. I am being told and I'm living out the fact that whatever comes tomorrow, you're going to have grace for that. That's right. We're not borrowing trouble. Mm-hmm. Yes. Cause I think I was trying at some points to think of every possible way that, um, the journey could look and then almost prepare my heart for that and prepare my mind and prepare physically and spiritually and emotionally. But then I realized there's so many other ways, um, that this story could end that I can't even begin to imagine, um, right. so yes, it was, it was just that it was just like the Israelites were told to, to collect the manna one day at a time. Um, except for on Saturdays, they could collect for Sunday, but you know, one day at a time but and it, they couldn't store it. it. Yeah. You yeah. want to store it up. Pile it up. That's right. But we just have to trust and wake up every morning and say, Lord, um, I know your mercies are new today and just help me to trust that they're going to be there tomorrow as well. So you come home and you're in this new scan by scan, taking mm-hmm. it as it comes season of life. What did that look like? Two little or three little people in school now. Yeah. Three little people in school. I was working. Um, yeah. Three, um, all three of them were in school and I was um, continuing to work in my ministry position. And um, I just jumped right back in with both feet as I tend to do mm-hmm. and um, just you know, life was very, very full. And, um, again, you know, did not, was not consumed with worry over the next scan, really just trying to enjoy the days as they came. Um, and then that December we went back to MD Anderson for the scans and I was just completely convinced that everything was going to be great. I mean, that was what we had spent the whole year working towards and had no reason to think that anything was going to be anything other than this is this was the plan we walked it through and this was the result and it was not the case um, at all. And this was the end of 2017 Um, in December we were out there and um, found out the cancer had actually moved to the complete other side of my body um, to my left side, left, left lymph nodes, left breast, um, some lymph nodes behind my chest wall and still in my sternum. And it was devastating. Um, that may have been one of the really toughest times for me because I had such expectation that we were, um, it was going to be good. And I just really was not prepared for that. And, um, and it was really difficult. Um, but I just remember the next day it was time for us to leave and sitting at the airport and spending time with the Lord and in my, in um, in scripture and, his mercy, his grace met me there. And just once again, um, I had a peace, I had a deep peace. Um, and so even in that, that, you know, really worst situation, um, what I, what I thought could be the possible worst, he, um, he met me there just through his word. And, um, 
and gave and me that how peace. How was Justin in that moment? He um he was really my earthly rock as he had been. He was strong for me, and then I was strong for him. So we'd kind of go back and forth like that. Um, but he was still really optimistic, and um, and we you know we had just leaned on each other. The plan was to start chemo once again in January. And then that, at this point, I think I was taking a chemo pill in um, early 2018. So um, continued with that. Um, and um, and so at this point, it's kind of like, well, we're going to, you're probably going to be on chemo for the rest of your life. Um, because it just seemed with my body that when I stopped chemo, the cancer would come back um, or progress. And so the doctor said, you know, they're not God, they don't know, but it seemed as though the likelihood was that I would be on chemo for the rest of my life. And that wasn't easy to hear um, because I knew how difficult it was. Um, I knew how awful the side effects were. And um, so that was not a great thing for me to hear. And I had to really come to come to terms with that. At this point, I think you have a Facebook page of people you know and love and people you've never met who are praying for you and they're invested in your story, just wishing the best for you. Does that make it easier or harder when you get that news? It actually makes it harder. <laughs> I mean, in a lot of ways, it makes it that. easier in a way that I know that people are supporting me and they're praying for me. But um, in a lot of ways, it makes it harder because people are invested and, and you don't want to be the bearer of bad news. And I just remember, right. you know, processing the news myself and then thinking, how in the world am I going to share this with, of course, my family and the people that know me and love me, right. the, the closest people to me, but then this amazing following that has gathered together and has supported me because I know they're, their hearts are going to be somewhat broken as well. So that was difficult. But um, yeah, so then in, so 2018 started with more chemo. Um, I believe at that point it was the chemo pill. And we did that for a little while and it worked for some time and then it stopped working. And um, in the summer of 2018, so this was just last summer, um, they told me I was going to have to get back on infusion chemo again. So once again, this was the type of chemo that I was going to have to lose my hair, um, chemo through my port, you know, the really bad stuff. Right. Um, and right. so we made the really difficult decision to change practices because I had been doing a lot of research into a treatment, a newly FDA approved treatment called cold capping. Um, and it's used for um, for cancer patients, and it helps you to to keep your hair during infusion chemo. And the way it works is it just um, restricts the capillaries in your um, scalp so that the chemo can't get to them. And um, so during the entire chemo treatment, you're wearing an actual cap that has water pulsating through it that's below freezing, and it's really, you know, of course, very, very cold. Um, but... So your whole body is going through yes, one thing, and then your hair exactly. Is going um, and but um, and it's not guaranteed to work. I think there's like a sixty six percent chance that it's going to work. I took the chance, and it worked. Um, my hair. They said you'll know within the first couple of treatments if it's going to work or if it's not going to work. And um, the oh, wow. yeah. So the whole um, driving force behind that decision for me, and I had to really do a lot of soul searching. Was um, because 
of my children. Um, and I realized that the impact of not having any hair, um, how that really impacted them. And for the third time, cause I remember I'd lost my hair twice already. Um, yeah. Right. So doing it for the third time, I just thought, and they're I even just, older. Yeah. They're older, understanding more, understand. you know, their friends are understanding more and, you know, asking questions. And so really prayed about it, sought wise counsel, um, about, you know, from others about it and made that decision. And, um, thankfully I was able to keep my hair, even though this is the type of chemo that you would typically lose your hair from. Right. And that included all, does that eyebrows? Well, you know, it's funny and, you know, you're not, you're not using the cold cap on your eyebrows or on the other um, hair on your body, but my, all of that stayed, but my hair would have definitely, I would have definitely lost my hair because I'd lost about 20% of it. Um, so I would have certainly lost it. Yeah. So, but I'm thankful, thankful to have eyebrows and to have hair. Um, so that, that was this past summer and that was actually, um, August of last year that started. And at this point, I know last August that you guys were able to take a couple of little really memory making focused trips, which I'm so thankful for because Anyone who knows you know that there are a couple of places. I mean, you're like a traveler. I think, mm-hmm. I think you'd probably just hop a flight at any mm-hmm. given moment if you could. But there are a couple of places I would imagine that you love the most. And one would mm-hmm. be the beach. Yeah. And one would be probably anywhere that's showing kind of Broadway shows. Yes. I would imagine. But specifically New York. So what did last mm-hmm. August look like while things were still kind of in normal mode Mm -hmm. before the line in the sand was drawn. Yeah. So, um, on the way home from Houston. So when we were coming back from one of the appointments that we learned we were going to have to, I was going to have to start infusion chemo again. Justin looked at me and said, let's go to New York. And I was like, what, (laughs) what do you mean? Because all along I had wanted to take the children to New York city. I mean, that is one of my favorite places on earth. I love the city of been a number of times through the years, you know, it's just, it's not an inexpensive place to travel in general and certainly not with children. So I look, and you know, I mentioned this earlier, but my husband, um, was very frugal. So, um, I thought, are you crazy? But he's like, let's just do it. Yes, it was startling. Um, but we planned it very quickly and invited his mom, his mom so that we could, um, share that with her as well. And it was right before school started. We took them for, I think it was four or five days to New York and did all the things. And it was just truly one of the most incredible um, times of our life. Just enjoying each other, enjoying the city, um, enjoying just making memories. And um, I'm so, so thankful that we did that and so, so thankful for that time. And Justin had just turned 40. Mm-hmm. He did. He had turned 40 um, August 1st. And, um, actually insisted we have two birthday parties for him that year, uh, which he thought was crazy <laughs> and, um, totally not necessary, but, um, we had a friend party and then we had a family party and it was just, it was a really sweet season in our family's life. And he was like, that's too much cake. That's too expensive. Yeah, no. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> he was like, that's way too much. But I said, no, you are worth celebrating and we are going to celebrate big because you are worth, ce- you are worth it. You are worth celebrating. So celebrate we did. And, um, so even, I mean, just so thankful that God led me in that direction just to celebrate big. 
And how, um, when did you return from New York? I know that was kind of your last big thing mm-hmm. before your children started a new school, right? Yes. Um, it was middle of August. We came back and they actually missed the first day of school because we had some Look flight troubles. Wild yeah. and crazy kids. That's right. That was not the plan, but um, we were planning to come back. <laughs> I had done all the school shopping before we got Obviously. Um, before we left and, we and to say that we yeah, know. you know, had everything in their little bags and then, right. um, by the door. yeah. And so we were going to get back and then start the next day. And it was just, we were just squeezing it in, you know, to this time frame. But we, um, of course in August leaving the city in the evening, there were afternoon storms. I just hadn't even thought about that, but, um, afternoon thunderstorms and we, um, we had to get rerouted to Michigan, Detroit, Ooh. and then come. Boy. We ended up coming home. So we spent, yeah, we spent a night in Michigan. So the kids early on got to learn the perils of air airline travel. You might could have hopped a Greyhound faster than that. I know it was it was nuts. So we actually spent a night in Detroit, did that, and then got home, and then started one day late. That was exciting, um, and we were just cruising along. The kids were at a new school, which was a whole nother God story, and. Um, they were and loving it. We just felt really felt called. Like yes, it's a smaller mm-hmm. Christian environment. That's right, much smaller school, um, and we had felt called for a little while. But we thought maybe middle school would be the time we would make the transition because we loved the school that they were in before. But the Lord had just really—I mean, I can't say it any other way than just pushed us, um, pushed us early, and it was just like this. Really, doesn't make sense on paper, but. For some reason, we just, I mean, we just have to obey. I mean, it was an obedience issue and a faith, a matter of faith. And um, so they started and it was just really incredible. Um, The first, you know, week and a half there, um, meeting the teachers and um, their, you know, their friends. And I reconnected with some, some friends, some old friends from the past whose children were in the school with them and in class with them. And it was just a really sweet environment. And I was really excited for the school year ahead. And now we're at the point in the story where I don't really know, don't really know what to lead you into talking about because I kind of wish we didn't have to. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Yeah. Um. I like to, when I'm interviewing someone, I really like to make it the and show. You know, I'm just like such a wallflower and always have been. So I really enjoy talking about how things have shaped and affected me. You know, let's not worry about you, Brooke. Let's, let's talk about me. But in this moment, I am, um, I'm not wanting to make it harder for you than it needs to be. So I just want you to, I can talk, you can talk, I can tell you, um, kind of what that day looked like here in Greenville, um, yeah. or you can start with you, whichever, whichever okay. sounds easier in this moment. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll just kind of go, um, it's just really hard it's, to talk about. Um, it's, we should say that it's, it's August 25th, right? Yep. So it's, it's a Saturday a weekend in late August. Uh-huh. Yep. And it's just a normal, um, a normal Saturday morning, getting to the groove of a new school year. You've got Bible study. You've got mm-hmm. Justin is an avid for reasons I will never understand. People like him want to run and bike and swim and 
triathlon and do, <laughs> do healthy things. And so that's a thing that people like him love to do. And so you're jumping back into real life after these travels and, um, what did that day hold for y'all? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was August 25th. Like you mentioned, um, the, I had, I had had chemo earlier that week. And so my parents were really gracious and, um, we always knew that a few days after the chemo, when it was going to be the worst day and the worst day was going to hit on that Saturday, um, Saturday, you know, and kind of into Sunday. So, um, they were gracious and they said, well, um, why don't we have the kids over Friday and, you know, we'll bring it back on Sunday. And that way Saturday you can just, um, rest and kind of recoup from chemo. And of course I was thankful for that offer and took them up on that. And so, so grandparents, had yes, kids. they did. And Friday night we had gone out on a date night. Cause of course I wasn't feeling great, but I was like free babysitter. You know, we've got to take advantage <laughs> of this. So we went out to Bonefish and had a nice dinner and um, went grocery shopping after that, which is, you know, super exciting. glamorous date night ends, yes. That's right. Um, and then so- uh, Saturday I woke up and um, Justin, as you mentioned, was a uh, an avid cyclist and um, really a big part of the cycling community in Columbia. He had done a, a full Ironman and um, was just really into that and... Um, I was um, really into studying the Bible, and I was actually preparing for a teaching I was to do later in the fall. And so I was sitting on the couch and um, had my Bible open to um, the book of um, First or Second Corinthians. I think it was First Corinthians. Yeah, and um, and Justin decided he said I'm going to go out for a bike ride, and I'm actually going to go. I said, Well, how how long are you going to be gone? Um, he said, well, I don't really know where I'm going to go. I'm just going to kind of go until I get tired and um, and come back. And I said, well, make sure you turn around before you get too tired because, you know, so you have the energy to get back. You be stranded. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I remember going outside and helping him hold his bike so he could adjust his brakes. And he made up his water bottles. And, um, and he, you know, he said goodbye. And, you know, I gave him a kiss and told him goodbye. A couple hours later, maybe about an hour and a half later, I got a phone call from our pastor that um, it seemed as though Justin had been involved in a, um, in a biking accident or in an accident involving a car and I needed to get down to Richland ER as soon as possible. And at this point, wow. you know, and you got that from your pastor, right? And, and it was just an interesting, wow. um, way that he had learned of it. Um, but he was the one to, to call me and, um, I immediately called my dad. Um, and he, my pastor called a dear friend of mine and I sent out a quick little text to some friends, just, you know, pray. I don't know what I'm going to be walking into, but please pray. Um, and another friend of mine was downtown at a birthday party. So she, she met me there and, um, you know, I, I had no idea what I was going to be walking into. Um, I mean, I, in my mind, I guess I kind of thought, you know, some broken bones or something, but you know, nothing, nothing that was going to be a tragic situation. Um, so I, you know, I grabbed my Bible and I put on, I, I mean, I hadn't had a shower or anything that day. I just put on a baseball cap and 
threw on some clothes and just hopped in the car. And I think I got downtown in, in you know, like 18 minutes, which is faster than I've ever been able to get downtown before. <laughs> and um, walked into, actually could not find the entrance to the ER. I was just so scatterbrained. Finally found where I go in and walk up to the desk and um, immediately um, get taken to a back room in the facility. And um, a doctor came in and told me that my husband um, had not survived the, the accident, that he had been hit by a car, um, and he, he was gone. Wow. Yeah. So. Um, and were you alone when you got that news? I think I was alone there. I think there might have been a chaplain there, but I don't really remember. Yeah. Um, if it was someone, I don't, I don't, I didn't know who it was. No one I knew. Um, I, I actually right. do think I was alone at that point. The chaplain came in later, um, but not too much longer. Um, my my pastor met me there, and um, my friend that he had called, and um, who's sort of a mentor to me and. Um, my dad got there, you know, in the next little bit. And then my friend got there pretty shortly thereafter. And, um, so I wasn't alone for long, but I do remember there being a few, um, a few moments where I was in that room by myself with the chaplain who was a sweet, um, younger man. And you could just tell he didn't know, really know what to say. And in those moments, there's nothing to say, but I just opened my Bible to, to Psalm 23 and just started reading and, um, you know, and I told him, I said, you know, I, I believe this. I believe this to be true. And um, and I asked him, I said, are you a Christian? Because I know that some chaplains may not be Christians. And he said, yes, ma'am, right. I am. And I said, well, you, like, we believe the same thing. And this is horrible. But, and I held the Bible and I said, this, I believe this to be true. So I know that, that God is here. And so... Um, that's just been my lifeline. Um, yeah. And, you know, that that was just the most unexpected plot twist. Once again, um, the first plot twist was getting breast cancer, but then the second plot twist was Justin um, leaving this earth before me because so many times I had envisioned um, my own death and kind of processed that and processed him being alone and what that would look like for him. And I never knew that it would be me. And is that something that he had prepared for? I think so. We, you know, we talked about it. And of course I always told him, I said, I I want you to, um, to love again. And I, you know, I want you to marry a sweet Southern Christian woman. You can be a good mom to the kids. And, you know, we had these discussions and of course he was like, no, no, we're fighting this. Like that, sweet Southern Christian woman is going to be you. <laughs> like, right. Um, but we would talk openly about it because I just didn't want him to ever, you know, wonder what my thoughts were or my desires were. Um, and so it was just so, so crazy to, to be on the other side of that um, and to be the one who now is raising the children without him. And, and to have that be so unexpected right to yeah to be just a very traumatic one moment yes. to the next uh-huh. and to still That's have different. stage four cancer and I'm still right. know, doing chemo and I'm still you know struggling um just with with life um 
with, with fighting cancer. I mean, it's not easy. It's not a walk in the park. Um, so just wondering, Lord, like what, what are you doing here? Um, and I just remember thinking early on, and I've clung to this, that this is just, it's so horrific that, um, God has to have a plan in this. Um, there's no doubt that he's not involved in this because it's just, it's, um, beyond anything that any of us could have ever imagined. So I think if we, if we don't believe that in this moment, then it's this cruel, like universe is messing with you, just senseless, Mm -hmm. pointless, random. And that feels so desolate Mm -hmm. and hopeless that, that I don't know how you, I don't, I mean, I don't think anyone knows how you survive it, even, Mm -hmm. even knowing that there's a hope. That's right. Um, How, how did the next days unfold for you? The next days were really difficult. um, As I just, I mean, I I don't even think I really came to terms with it for a while because there were people in my home, you know, just people showing their love and support, but just life was not normal and life was not regular for a long time. Um, but you know, planning the funeral and, um, and all of that, um, was just a lot and something I never, I mean, I, I had thought about my own funeral and thought about some of the music and the songs, um, and, and just the, just kind of the focus of what I wanted it for myself. And so I think, and we had talked about that. So I felt like I kind of had a head start in thinking about that for him. I mean, all of it was just beyond hard. So I would love to interject here and tell you from an outsider's perspective about the significance of Justin's funeral in specific, if I could. Yeah. Um, That I know was something that you put so much thought and prayer and intention into, mm-hmm. even though I, I don't know how you have your brain and your body at that point, you know, it may not have even been something you can remember doing, but, um, you know, because I've known you a really long time and therefore I know a lot of people who know and love you. I spent a lot of time as I do <laughs> talking to people about this, people who are coming, you know, arrangements, Mm -hmm. people who are sending things, people who are going. And I would say that the word that emerged the most after that funeral service was transformational. Wow. This was a transformative. And I know for me, I'm someone who has been, the first songs I remember singing are songs about Jesus Mm -hmm. of my whole life. And that was a truly transformative experience. Um, Wow. For people who weren't there, you gave the eulogy and I've seen you speak plenty of times. You've incredibly eloquent and a beautiful writer and have words for days, but this is not, you know, a blog post. Mm -hmm. This is not, um, teaching in normal Mm -hmm. circumstances. So your sister Liz walked up with you with the Mm -hmm. expectation being that any woman would buckle under the weight of what you're carrying and that Liz hurt as she is having lost because we, we haven't even addressed the fact that your brother-in-law and Justin Mm -hmm. were also very, very close. The four of you were a little, you know, a little dynamic 
quadrant. We were. Uh-huh. Uh, with three children apiece in mm-hmm. very similar stages. They were really close, yeah. A lot of people lost Justin in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. He, he represented a lot of things to him, but people in, in the congregation expected that Liz would would pick up where you left off, and that mm-hmm. wasn't the case. Um, and so I think the phrase that I repeated the most when I came back to Greenville after, and not just me, there were, there were a lot of us who came, was that if you did not believe that the Holy Spirit existed when you walked into that sanctuary, I don't know how you could have explained what you saw. Mm. Because the words that came out of your mouth and the poise and the grace and the passion with which they came, it doesn't make sense otherwise. So I just want to... It's not something I typically do as a person tries to tell her own story. Again, we're not running the Ann Smith show. It is just say that that was something, whatever brain cells you had that were firing, they paid off. Because this was something that presented the gospel. It presented the truth of Justin's life. Mm-hmm. And that you, whether you remember the words or you felt you were the one speaking them or just opening your mouth and they were coming on out. It it was something else. It it really was. Wow. Well, that, that really means the world for you to say. And that was really the prayer of my heart. I'm actually looking at my journal from the day of his funeral. Um, and that's exactly what I prayed is that every element of the service would point to Jesus and, um, and honor my husband. Um, and um, from the music to the prayers to the pastor's message, and then certainly to my words, um, that, that they would just point to the greater hope that we have, because, um, and not just that Justin was a good man, because he was, but the only way that he was a good man was through Christ and him. Um, and that was, that was really the message I wanted to come across. Um, what I thought was really incredible is Justin, for instance, was an employee of Pepsi for what, probably mm-hmm. close to 18 years? Yeah. And I know he was a faithful employee and obviously your, you know, dad thought enough of him to say, come to this non-company cookout and meet my daughter. But that came up in one sentence Mm -hmm. in a very full life. Like this was something he spent a lot of hours there, but it was not the story of his life that he did his work alongside you at chemo. He did Mm -hmm. his work to fuel and feed his family. And this was such a tiny piece. And that really struck, I think, a lot of people in that congregation is Mm. the sheer number of hours we spend away from our families working. And when the end of our life comes, it is an afterthought. That's right. The rest of your life is what fills the page. That's so true. So, so true. And he was an amazing dad, um, an amazing husband. And just, I mean, I could go on and on about him. Um, but you know, it was really, um, the God that we, um, loved together. That was who I wanted to be lifted high that day. So I'm, um, I'm really encouraged that transformative is the word that would be used because we know that we know it's not my words that can transform, but it's, um, the Holy Spirit is the one that does that, and um, and I'm just thankful, and I just pray that um, that people's lives were changed that day. Yeah, so um, so that was 
that was August. Um, that was late August. And so did you record that service? Because at the end, that was the first thing I thought was, I hope that her, that Brooke and her children are able to watch this again at some point and see what this worship service was really like Mm -hmm. with a bit more presence of mind as they're not processing Mm -hmm. so much. I, I did not record it and I honestly did not even think about it. I do have, of course I have the eulogy written out. Um, but I, that is a regret that I have that we don't have that, um, that, you know, me that day, because it was just, Honestly, like, um, I was uh, like an out of body experience is the best way I can, I can say it. Um, I mean, truly when I'm weak, God was strong in me. Um, I mean, that was not my strength at all. I mean, not at all. It was just, um, I mean, I had, I had like a few hours to write it. Some friends of mine took the children. Um, the house was quiet for some reason. I, I don't know where everybody went, but it's like the house was quiet um, my friends had taken the children out to, I think, a trampoline park or something for a little bit. And um, and so I had this little, you know, time to myself and I just laid in my bed and the words just flowed out. Um, and then when I delivered it, you know, I, I think my pastor, he's just so precious and he's almost just like a second dad, you know, father figure to me. And he did not advise um, that I would for me to give the eulogy. He said, I, I don't think that's a great right. idea. You know, I, um, I he said, I can read it. You. Yeah. And he said, I just think it's going to be too hard. And, you know, you might get emotional and people might, you know, the focus might be on you and, you know, you breaking down and not where you want it to be. And I pray, I continue to pray about it because I trust his wisdom so, so much in my life and just continue to pray. Right. I think for the first time in my life, I said, I really feel like the Lord wants me to do this. Like I'm, I'm kind of going against his wisdom, you know? Um, but I just felt so strongly that the Lord needed me to do that or wanted me to do that. And it was a, it was a matter of obedience. And, you know, I, it was a supernatural thing to see it really. And it was, I think it was faith. I mean, I know it was faith building, faith, faith building in my own life and something I can look back on and say, he empowered me then, and he can do that again. And he will do that again. Um, so those moments when I am I'm weak in the future, he can empower me and he will empower me. So at this point, you've had Justin's funeral. There's this initial wave, not just of community outreach and every person you've ever met and loved and every person Justin has ever met and loved, mm-hmm. but there's media interest too, mm-hmm. that this is, I mean, just amplified. It, it's a lot. Yeah, it was a lot, um, a whole lot. And um, I mean, just tremendous amount of support. Um, we, a sweet friend of mine set up a GoFundMe, which was really just kind of, I felt really uncomfortable about um, because right. I just don't think very many people, people feel comfortable with that, to be honest with no, you. But um, but she said, right. you just... You know, she's like, you don't know um, what's going to be ahead and, you know, for the kids. And this, like, money is the absolute last thing you need to be worried about over these next, over this next little bit. And right. um, so I said, and Especially okay, when there's an unexpected loss because the access and right. all the things you're having to deal with mm-hmm. to join. And it was a lot. And, yeah. It was a whole lot. Um, never would have, I mean, just now finalizing everything and I'm not exaggerating a year later. Um, 
but you know, I, it, it was truly a gift because I didn't, I didn't worry about, um, the, you know, his paycheck stopping and, um, and all of that. And, you know, was I going to, when could I go back to work? And, you know, I didn't, I, that wasn't at the front of my mind because we, um, we just experienced the abundant, extravagant generosity from so many people from our lives and even people that didn't know us. Um, it was, it was over, it was truly overwhelming. And, um, that was, I don't think I've ever seen, uh, anything. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that before. It was, I think people in that moment, you know, there's so many people who follow you. There's so many people who know and care about you or know and care about people who do know you. Mm -hmm. Um, and when you're looking for something to do in a tangible sense that you can hand to someone, you know, we can't all drop off a meal mm-hmm. or take your children to, to school because, A, that would be creepy. Yeah. I don't need you, random lady from Indiana, to drive mm-hmm. home and drive carpool. But, you know, in some small sense, because most of those gifts were not, you know, the world's largest gifts. It was a, lots and lots of people being faithful and being kind mm-hmm. and generous in That's right. small ways that really yes. added up to significance, which it was really encouraging for me to see. And I think it's good to hear that those can be useful in the moment, because especially if you're married and you have joint accounts, mm-hmm. um, stuff changes a lot, right? Yes. In this it, it hard was, moment, yes. you're already facing tough mm-hmm. decisions and you may not have access to the same funds that you would have. Um, it's it's mm-hmm. like adding insult to injury. It just makes it all more complicated. Yes, so it was pretty complicated because everything was joint, and um, we, yeah, it was it was just it was really a blessing to have those funds just kind of waiting for me, um, and you know I was really wanting to use them to honor in a way that was would be honoring to Justin, and um, so taking care of medical expenses and also but also using them to make some memories with the kids and just to have that freedom to say you know, let's go to the, to the beach for the weekend right. or let's go to the trampoline park for the afternoon and not have to really, you know, look at the budget and, and really pinch pennies for every little right. thing was a true gift. And at that point, you know, right now it's so trendy to preach to moms, regardless of their marital status or their life experiences or their health, self-care. Got to, you can't mm-hmm. pour from an empty cup you've got to replenish yourself. And I'm imagining you physically drained, Mm -hmm. going through chemo, absolutely heartbroken and traumatized and taken by surprise. And not only walking through that alone, but caring for three children and, Mm -hmm. you know, and your sister and brother-in-law and your mother-in-law and father-in-law and your parents, so many people who loved him you're a giver and a caretaker by nature. How did rationing your resources, your emotional resources, your time, how did any of that work in that next season? Well, every day looked different. Um, but the one thing about every day that did not look different, um, and I can say this um, pretty confidently, I mean, with the exception of maybe very small handful of days was that I would begin my day in God's word. And that was where I would draw my resources from. 
And was um, that getting up before your three children would wake up? Sometimes it, a lot of times, yes, but sometimes no. Um, my kids have seen me on the couch with my Bible from the time that they could see anything. And so they know that right. mommy's reading the, the Bible. And, um, and so, I mean, and it's not perfect. And I mean, that was something that I had to get over a long time ago with three little ones that it doesn't have to be this hour long, perfect, you know, time where I just, You're I just get this huge chunk and Greek. it's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But sometimes it's just going to be a Psalm and I, I meditate on, on a phrase for the whole day and journaling, um, is really big for me. And so I try to, to at least write out gratitude every day and some prayer requests for the day. And then it's not just even for that moment, it's for the next year and the next year and the next year, just to see how God's working in my life and preparing me. Um, and how just to kind of see, see, um, themes and see, um, to look back and see his, his, um, sovereignty and his presence and his goodness, um, in my life in the past and to be reminded of the future. But, um, so I do a Bible reading plan that I started a few years ago and it's a two year Bible reading plan, which means that the chunks are a little bit less than the one year plan that I started many times. And, um, you know, it was just hard to get through that amount every day. So, um, that's, that's just been, um, a spiritual discipline that is, is super important to me and has been the foundation of, um, of my life and has been where I draw, um, my resources from really every day. (laughs) And you have a community around you who's obviously Mm -hmm. supporting you. And this is, and I I know because a, a lot of people, um, reached out to me, you know, people are trying to stay several mm-hmm. layers away from the person at the center of the crisis. So, you know, I don't right. want, no one wants to text Brooke and say, mm-hmm. I know you're going through all the things. Could you give me a little punch list of stuff to you? Because you have enough on your plate. So people right. are texting the, the neighbor or the friend or the woman mm-hmm. in the carpool or someone that's a little bit one layer in from them. So I would love to talk about um, maybe the best or most supportive or most practical, most uplifting things in the season that you never saw coming that you can remember people doing. I remember a friend told me if one more person sends me a tree to plant (laughs) and I don't know what I'll do. Like what I need is someone to take my child to (laughs) That's too funny. And you know what? I never didn't receive one tree to plant. So someone, (laughs) people are hearing (laughs) that message loud and clear, doing other things that were so meaningful. And um, yeah, you know, just to back up and what you said about the layers is is so true. And I've heard multiple different people say it different ways. I mean, some people say it's, you know, circles or rings around the people. And that is something that is very important to remember that um, the person in the middle of the crisis is kind of in the center and then around them, you know, in the first ring is their, um, their very closest friends that, I mean, these are people that, that like know their kids well, that their kids wouldn't be weirded out if they picked up like texting multiple times a week, um, their, their family, their sisters, you know, brothers, siblings, you know, parents, all that. That's the inner ring. They are grieving too. Stay a little bit. Away from yeah. Them. Yeah. And so then, you know, beyond that, there's another ring that's 
people that I might go to church with that I'm close to, but that I don't text necessarily every week and, and then kind of beyond that. And that every ring and every layer has a place. Um, my friend Marissa Henley wrote a book called Loving Your Friend Through Cancer. Mm. And she does an amazing job of articulating this and really talking about how just because you might be five or six rings out from this person, and it might be someone that is a friend of a friend who lives on the other side of the country, that doesn't mean that that person is not important um, to me or to this crisis because that person has a place. That person can pray. And of course, every, you know, probably everyone at every stage is praying, but that person can send a gift card Mm -hmm. and a card. And I have received the most uplifting and spirit filled um, cards and um, the gift cards were were just um, flooding in. And I think I have just recently used, I think I might even still have a couple more gift cards, but I mean, I, I've used them for a full year and, um, Restaurants. It was such a blessing. Yeah, restaurants and movies. Um, I haven't paid for to take my kids to the movies in a year, and that's not cheap. And that's saying <laughs> so, something with three children. Yeah, it is. And um, going to the movies is one of the things that is one of the best activities for me because, especially on the weekend after a chemo treatment, I can go and just sit right. for a, an hour and a half, two hours, and that's, that's an so amazing activity. Sure. Yes. And so I, I have even allowed them to get popcorn, and I mean, <laughs> it's what? just been so crazy. fun. I, I know we're just going wild. So, but you um, were like, Justin, so that, don't worry, we got gift cards. That's right, we got <laughs> gift cards. Can... That's right. <laughs> don't worry, yeah, because I mean, you know, we were always like, you know, pop the popcorn at home and put right. it in a Ziploc bag and you hide it in the big y'all. purse. You got to go to college. We've, that's right. Um, and then we share, you know, a water when we get there. So you're not crazy. Um, yeah, exactly. So it's just been it's been a blessing, and um, and then the people enter closer into the circle are the ones who are taking my kids, are picking them up, and um, you know, babysitting them for an afternoon so I can um, run an errand or go to a doctor's appointment, or the ones who are sitting with me at chemo. Um, so every single person has a place and has a purpose, and um, it's just kind of knowing. I think that one of the hardest parts is recognizing and assessing, like, where am I? Because right. sometimes the lines can get blurry, and you're like, sure. am, am I, like, in their close circle? And those things just kind of flesh themselves out. They um, do. Yeah. But I think just to kind of let the person in the middle take the lead, um, and then also just being that person who texts and says, and you're so good at this, and you're, because you've learned, but who texts and says, like, no need to reply. Right. Um, because you emotionally expo- yes. exhausted uh-huh. when you get 50, which is so wonderful. Oh, my goodness. Just, it is wonderful. It's a wonderful problem a to have. But it is a lot when I've just been, you know, trying to be a single parent all day and do homework and activities and this and that. And I finally crashed into bed and started to respond to texts. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I've got 50 texts to respond to. Oh, never. And then you just feel badly. So those that give you the freedom to say no need to respond, it's like, thank you, Lord. This is great. Yes. And I will say one of the, there were just a million ways that I saw people outdo themselves to mm-hmm. to love your family from afar, maybe in ways. And I think what I find the most admirable is in ways that will never really be seen mm. or you know, there's no need for a thank you note because the lawn is just mowed and you don't know who did it or mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. But yeah, um, but that's I right. Had a, a friend text me the day after Justin passed, who's never met you, um, who lives here in Greenville with me, who lost a baby, and she said, "Anne, 
this was the worst season of my life. And one of the most amazing shortcuts that I found, she's a graphic designer, was mm-hmm. designing a postcard that had a pre-printed thank you note. Mm-hmm. I could make my Southern grandmother and the one inside me <laughs> so proud. Mm-hmm. Like I checked that mm-hmm. box, but I didn't have to sit at a dining room table when I just wanted to, you know, maybe curl up in bed. And I would really love yes. to do this for Brooke. And I thought, mm-hmm. my goodness, like that level of, that really only comes from someone who's been in the trenches too. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I also know you enough to know that you, you will, no matter how many people tell you, please don't write me a thank you enough. It'll, it'll keep mm-hmm. you awake <laughs> at night. And yes. That's <laughs> Even it. But that was it. such, that was truly such a gift that I wouldn't have thought of, of course, you know, Genius, um, right? until, you know, and it's just. But the gifts continued to pour in, and it's just I wanted people to know how much I was grateful, and not that they expected it, but just to know how much, how meaningful it was, um, how meaningful they were to me in this season, whether I knew them or not. Um, And you're a words person, so obviously Mm -hmm. you want to put that on paper. That's right. But you just, I mean, look, even we don't have the words. Like (laughs) we just run out of hours in the day and words in the thesaurus to do this. So people Mm -hmm. are coming out of the woodwork in tangible ways. They're giving financially, they're praying, they're Mm -hmm. just filling these gaps. What does this look like for you this next season in terms of when you get through that initial phase where it's all the attention, the media coverage, the people Mm -hmm. coming out, and now we're reentering a quote unquote new normal life? that doesn't feel normal and isn't the new you wanted. And it was definitely not the new I wanted. It was, um, several, I mean, it was a really difficult season. Um, just big and small things. Um, everything was adjusting to life without my partner. Right. And he, he was a very engaged dad, which, um, was such a gift but Which it truly made it difficult when he wasn't here. Yeah, it was. And I'm thankful he was, but I mean, he, he was, we were true partners. So, um, so I'm thankful that, um, we had some really, um, we had the right people that God brought into our lives to help with different things like homework and, um, even some tutoring and some really great counseling for me and for the children and, um, throughout the year, um, God great. brought the right people in place. And I will say we ended the school year, um, in a good spot. Um, the first semester was extremely difficult, but, um, and, and it was just like minefields everywhere. Um, as we were all grieving and, you know, I'm a mom grieving and parenting three grieving children. And one in particular was, um, was grieving in the most difficult way. And, um, just trying to be wise and how to parent him and discipline him and, you know, but be tender. And, um, you know, that whole balance was, was a tough one to strike. Um, I wanted to get through this without losing his character. Um, but you know, it was, it was hard. Um, but we got through it, um, with only by the grace of God. And we, um, we ended the school year in a much better place and, 
continued to be, you know, to go to counseling. And, um, and I will say that I is just, I think that is so necessary. I really feel like we could all benefit oh from goodness, counseling. Yes. Um, I and certainly those of us who, <laughs> yeah, just, you're an it's adult. So, and I just, you go to counseling. yeah, mm-hmm. because there's something, I mean, and sometimes you, I might, I might show up and feel like there's nothing to talk about, but there's always something to talk about. Yes. Um, so it's, it's just so important and it helps because this person I'm, I'm talking to is not part of the situation. I mean, she's not emotionally invested right. in us she's and objective. she's objective. And, um, of course I go to a Christian counselor. So she speaks, um, she points me back to God's promises and I just, every time I leave, so refreshed. And we've talked, I, I talked with a, a guest here, Posner recently, who's a counselor, who's also walked through cancer and, and mm-hmm. hard things. And she said that she finds that combination of counseling and Christian truth to be just so powerful mm-hmm. and the importance that, you know, just because you are a Christian doesn't mean you bypass the need mm-hmm. to talk it out with someone necessarily, especially someone that's right. taking the burden off of the people in your real everyday life, you know, lifting a little bit of that. I think it's necessary. Uh, it might even be more important for Christians because so often we put on a mask of, and we don't want to get to that place of just being completely honest with those around us because I mean, we're Christians and we're not supposed to say some of these things, but yeah, yeah, but you know, with my counselor, I said from the beginning, I I mean, if I'm not real, then really what's the point of coming here? here? So I'm just going to share, yeah, I'm going to share, you know, the, the good, the bad and the really ugly. And that's what she wants, of course. Um, but she doesn't judge me and she can hear me. And then, and and I can, even as I'm speaking, I can, you know, most of the time say, and like, I know these thoughts, I know this isn't truth. Like I know. And so I can almost talk myself out of it, but just being able to, to have it. the freedom to say it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like popping a balloon with a needle. Like you just need to let, let it out. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. it, you feel so much better. Um, That's right. I know one of the people who's been absolutely integral to this season of your life has been your sister who, mm-hmm. um, yes. when all of this, um, I, I won't even say started because who knows where this started, but a year ago, I will say mm-hmm. was in Florida, her mm-hmm. husband, her children, her home base for her job were yep. all in Florida. Um, and I can't remember if I've told you this, but I called her um, the day after Justin passed and was like, okay, throw stuff at me. Like, I, I'm not with you. What can I do? Can I write the obituary? Can I, you know, what can, what can I proofread a eulogy? Can I call people, run errands? What can I do? And mm-hmm. she said, okay, this is my to-do list. I need little black dresses for the girls. Um, I need you to go back over that obituary. I need a realtor. I need to get, Mm -hmm. I was like, wait, (laughs) okay. Pump the brakes. (laughs) I think we could probably get a realtor tomorrow. I feel like we Mm -hmm. might have a minute on that, but it was from the beginning. Mm. Your sister was, and she said she and her husband didn't even really have a conversation about it. It was just understood. This is, Mm -hmm. we're going home where yeah. our kids need to be with their cousins. I need to be with my sister. Yes. This is, this is what comes next for us. And mm-hmm. it was an, 
incredible thing to hear both as a friend and as a mother of two sisters mm-hmm. to pray that that's your girl's future relationship. Mm. Mm, yeah. I mean, it, when I look back on, on the past year, there have been so many things that have just been such faith builders for me and such reminders that God is right here in the middle with us, um, ordering all of our steps and and just ruling and overruling over all of the circumstances. And my sister and her family moving up here was one of those reminders, has been one of those reminders to me. Um, they decided at some point, I think, that week that, that, you know, after Justin died and started the wheels in motion, of course, you know, it's not a quick or small thing to move, to relocate a whole family, um, from Florida to South Carolina. Um, but, uh, you know, and once they had decided, made that decision, of course, the question was, well, where are you going to live? And there was, I believe at that point in time, just a, one or maybe two homes in my neighborhood for sale. And one of them happened to be across the street from us. And in my heart of hearts, I thought, I just feel like this is the home for them. But of course, I didn't want to be pushy because, you know, I wanted them to make that decision and find the home that was right for their family. So they they looked around. They, um, of course, looked at that house as well. And God saved that house for them. That was the house they um, ended up moving into. And it had actually been on the market for quite some time. And we just always say God saved it for them. And so also the, the price had come down and down and down. And so it was just a God story all over. And so, yeah, my sister and John and her kids live across the street from us. And the cousins are, are all within, you know, the same, like between first and fourth grades. So we have six kids between first and fourth grades um, and they can grow up close to one another. And of course they were already close, but just being in each other's daily lives and they go to school together, there were openings at the school. So God just, just made everything possible. And, um, I mean, it was still the reason for the moving was, was horrible and was sad. And we all mourned and grieved that deeply, but just one of those, um, those mercies that we saw in the midst of the really tough journey. That's an incredible story that they are literally Mm -hmm. your neighbors. Yeah, they are. Which is a beautiful thing. And how does your month to month life look now? Because I know even more than any other mom with, you know, gymnastics or soccer or chorus or any other schedules, you are juggling chemo, which is a Mm -hmm. non-negotiable schedule. I mean, that's a thing that happens whether you like it or not. That's right. And I don't really love it, but I love what it does. <laughs> right. Um, I love what it does, but it's not, not my most favorite thing of the month. But um, right now I'm on, I do chemo um, two Mondays back to back, and then I have two weeks off. So basically it's two weeks on, two weeks off, um, two chemo weeks on, and then I get two weeks off. So um, 50% of my weeks, I'm not feeling great. Um, the side effects last um not quite a week, but I'd say the better part of a week. Um, the second week, it's not quite as bad because I only get one chemo drug that day. And the first week I get two, but, um, that, that really does dictate my schedule a lot. So the weeks that I'm off of chemo, especially this summer, we have just tried to live it up. Um, when I'm feeling, when my energy starts to rebound a little bit, we have really tried to take a lot of trips and make a lot of fun memories. And, um, and now here we are looking into starting a new school year. So I'm not really sure what 
what that's going to look like, but um, I will continue on this treatment until it stops working, basically, and then it'll be on to another treatment. Um, and I mean, I pray that one day I'll get to a point where I'm so stable that I don't, I, c- I can get off of chemo for a time at least. Right. Um, I have thankfully had stable scans for, um, for over six months now. And is that so I'm thankful for that. I mean, did they anticipate given that, you know, you kind of had to change course not that long ago? Yeah, I don't really know. Um, they don't really, I just think with me, they just don't know what to expect. I'm just, my body has just been kind of an odd case from the start. So, um, it's kind of going back to that, you know, we just take one day, one chemo drug, one scan at a time and take it as it comes. Well, I know, I mean, there's so many pieces to this that you, that require support the, you know, the ongoing Mm -hmm. treatments. And I mean, my goodness, quote unquote, just having three children is enough to require a hand Mm -hmm. every now and then. But the, the piece yes. that I think a lot of us don't truly know how to help with because it feels so foreign and so wrong is the idea. And I remember feeling personally wounded when you posted about signing up your children. I think it was for summer camp mm-hmm. and there was an option to check yeah. your marital status mm-hmm. and your marital status didn't exist. Right. On that it, it was single or, you know married and I just single just felt wrong. Right. Um, and yeah, that, that was a tough, tough thing. So how do we support someone who is still married is, is married and doesn't want this chapter of her life mm-hmm. and we don't want it for her. How do we pick up, um, pick up a piece of this and carry it for her? What has been the biggest need kind of if you can take chemo and cancer out of the picture, mm-hmm. um, what has been the biggest help or the biggest need in the last year? Mm. I think um, those friends, those friends who I'm close to, who have really, you know, invited me to join their family with things, um, especially on the weekends. You know, the weekends were our family time, so weekends can be. You know, most people look forward to the weekend, but sometimes I don't because um, it's when everyone, most people are with their family. So um, those weekends where um, where I get to, you know, others invite me in to what they're doing and my sister and her and her family have been so sweet to do that and so on so many occasions. Um, and, um, and I will say also, I, I could not be getting through this without the help of my parents. I mean, they, they have just been incredible. And my mom and dad come and stay for days at a time, you know, during the chemo weeks, um, because those weeks are just literally hard to take care of my children. But, um, but as far as, you know, the question that you asked, I think just being sensitive to, um, those who are, um, in my situation and, and inviting them in, even just after church, you know, inviting them to lunch and their kids to lunch. And then also just being okay. If it's like not a great, great day, you know, I'd rather, you know, we, we just need to go home and rest, you know, just, but just putting it out there. It's, it's been, um, it's been really meaningful when, when people have done that with us and certainly many have. 
It's a shame that there aren't more Ryans anymore because I feel like uh-huh. we made a lot of memories with church. Oh, we totally did around a Ryan's buffet table. Yes, it's, it's a shame your kids won't get to experience <sighs> that high cuisine. That's um, right. Sure it's a sad thing. Although it's, <laughs> those yes. yeast rolls were pretty fantastic. Yes. They were great. They were so great. With I mean, just every form of. <laughs> High fructose corn syrup and food coloring, you could imagine, was there. So, you know, mm-hmm. everything you need Sweet for good memories. memories. But we could mm-hmm. probably find better better restaurants, you know, to enjoy with your children. What um, mm-hmm. I find that children communicate so differently than I do. I, you know, mm-hmm. tend to avoid the hard. And I know, you know, for instance, we made a little package for your children and one of... Um, my kids drew a picture and it said, I'm so sorry for what happened to your dad. I wish I could bring him back from heaven. And mm. I thought, I can't send this. This, it's just too, I don't, I don't know what I thought, honestly. It, mm-hmm. it was about me. It wasn't about, but I noticed in what your children write and do and in the way that their friends talk about and, and face this, that there seems mm-hmm. to be a bit more openness um, mm-hmm. among kids and how they talk about things and a lack yes. of fear to say what they're thinking and feeling. Mm-hmm. How, how has that been as a mom and as someone who's watching other children comfort their kids and, and come into their lives in this season? It's, it's been, um, really unexpected, um, just to witness that I, my kids talk about Justin all the time. And of course I do too. Um, and and they don't have that little bit of hesitation of, you know, is this going to make mommy sad or, you know, right. like, like adults might. Right. Um, but they also um, just have a depth about them that I don't know if I've seen in, in other, in, in many other children mm-hmm. um, because of all that they've walked through. And that's something that you really can't, you know, unfortunately to get to that point, they have to go through some really hard things. Um, and so that's something that I can rejoice over that God is building their character through this and is, and God is going to use us to shape them into the people that he wants them to be as adults. Um, and, um, and I'm seeing that, you know, already just seeing how God is, is using this to shape them. And it's so, so hard, but they're so resilient and yeah, it's just, it's there, it's just been incredible to watch them grow through this. So when we talk to people who've lost someone they loved, our instinct is to just not bring it up as though you could ever forget mm-hmm. that this happened. We don't want to make you sadder. I would love to hear your thoughts on what do we say? How how can we balance our sadness and your grief? And what what is the best way to approach this? Because, I mean, some days you undoubtedly just want to talk about something adorable on the internet, you know? Mm-hmm. A baby rocking kitten <laughs> that's like making waves on Facebook <laughs> or something. But how yeah. how do we find the right balance between I haven't forgotten, this is sad for me too, mm-hmm. um, and not wanting to have that be maybe the only thing we talk about? Because I think people's tendency is just to not, just mm-hmm. to walk away if we don't know what to do. Right. I think um, for those who knew Justin pretty well, I have loved um, friends of mine and um, husbands of my friends who have reached out and said, you know, these are memories that I have. Yeah. 
I read one tribute on Facebook, a really a cycling friend of Justin, mm-hmm. who I'm sure I would never have had reason to meet. Um, and just the side of him that he got to see, even in a mm-hmm. cycling setting, to hear yeah. him talk about his kids and his wife. And I thought, what a cool thing to do yeah. to share that, especially because no offense, men, but you're not always known for being <laughs> super deep and emotional and expressive. That's right. Yes. Oh, yes. Um, that that really means the world, just to not be afraid to say their name um, and to say, this is what he meant to me. Um, and that I, really means the world. And I see world. him in your children. And that's, right. you know, yes. you have that instinct. Uh-huh. I've always thought that your son looks so much like you. And mm-hmm. in the last year, as he's just hitting this age where, you know, they're getting a little bigger, I see a lot more of Justin mm-hmm. And does that feel yeah. good to hear, or is there a wince moment? I mean, do we lean no, into No, it does. It feels good to hear that because um, his legacy does. Um, his legacy does continue through the children, um, and it brings my heart great joy to see um, parts of Justin continue to to show up in my kids because he he was great in so many amazing ways and. Um, so yeah, that's that's definitely something that's encouraging. How have your children been carried and encouraged and loved on? What's the best thing to I mean, we barely know how to handle grieving yeah. people in their thirties. How do we love on a child? Because I can tell you my kids' instinct is I'm just gonna make you a picture. <laughs> Which mm-hmm. I don't know if that solves anything, but it's the purest form of love at that age. Mm-hmm. Um and my go-to is Chick-fil-A gift cards because waffle fries, they just cure a lot of things. What makes your kids feel seen and loved? I I do think the gestures, like the pictures, um, those, those came in and they have meant the world to my children and to me. Um, but I really think, um, mostly enabling me to, to do things with them and try to keep things as normal as possible and, and not shut life down. Um, and that kind of comes back to the movie gift cards and, and the gift cards that right. we received, to, you know, pizza gift cards and, um, you know, just so they actually get to stuff. eat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fun kid stuff. And like to the trampoline park and things like that. Um, and that, that is helpful to me and it's and therefore helpful to them because it's something fun that we can do on a Saturday um, that I don't have to really think too much about before we just say, yeah, let's do it. So as you're walking through all the things, like any any one of them, we would want to encourage you through, and, and there's a lot of them now. Um, I'm sure you hear a lot of, and I, re- I read a lot of it, and I cringe for you because I, I don't think you're the strongest person I know. And I don't say that because I have someone else in mind. I just say that because I know that's not how you see yourself, that, you know, you're my mm-hmm. inspiration. You're the strongest person I know. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you do it. And I know that it is so, mm-hmm. it is meant with such love, but I also know that that's not how you see what's unfolding in your life and what's getting you through. Mm-hmm. So true. What, what is the most encouraging thing we can say? And what, what is getting you through? What is the hope that you want people to see that you still have hope years into mm-hmm. a really hard season where people are constantly throwing that? I, mean, I feel like it's like the verbal Heisman where you're just trying to keep someone a little bit at bay. You're so yeah. brave. You're so strong. <laughs> I could never do that. And I think the thing is no one could ever do that. 
That's right. Of course they can't. That's crazy. Right. Again, not, Um, not to say you're not super tough. You are not, (laughs) you're amazing, but you're, this isn't what it's about. That's right. It's not not what it's about. Superhuman powers. That's right. Because I'm just doing what I'd say every other mom who loves their kids would do. And you just get up and you do it. I mean, is there another option? Um, right. There's no other option, but I think where the strength comes from is where, um, is the, is, um, where I, I try to, um, always point back to is, um, in second Corinthians, Paul tells us that when we are weak, God is strong in us. And so our weakness is actually a divine opportunity for the strength of God to work in and through us. Mm. And what strength is better than anything? It's God's strength. I mean, his strength is perfect. And so, you know, I, I have so much grace for people who say, um, you're so brave and you're so strong because I do think that, um, it is, I mean, God uses people, he uses vessels to show his strength. And if that can be me, then, you know, I say, yes, Lord, um, let it be. So, um, but it's not me. It's, it's he who works in and through me. And that's just what, what I want to point to with my life. And that's actually the prayer that I prayed before on actually the, the morning of Justin's death before I knew, um, that he had died. I, I prayed that prayer. I said, um, so I just want to be your vessel, Lord. I just want to be your vessel. And so he has certainly, I think, answered that prayer, just not exactly in the way that I would have wanted it. Right. And at this point, because we know, well, we know a lot more than when you started this hashtag, but when your Mm -hmm. cancer story first started, um, there was, you were fighting for joy. You were fighting with joy. Mm -hmm. And then there was a hashtag that everyone would use, um, when we wore little t-shirts with pink ribbons Mm -hmm. and your name on them that said his grace abounds. Mm -hmm. And it was a different season, you know, Mm -hmm. things, things were different. And I, know that his grace abounds is something that you still yes believe very deeply absolutely even in this season absolutely even on the it bad abounds. days which um, what do you say mm-hmm. to someone who wants to i mean you you do say this has been a hard day this has been a hard mm-hmm. week um do you feel like you can speak freely to those of us who are I do um, on? Yeah, because, um, I mean, that's what we see all through Scripture is we see, especially in the Psalms, we see the lament. We see David's lament and the lament of other psalmists to say that this is not okay and this is hard. And God is able to handle, and others, you know, we hope are able to handle us saying this is absolutely awful right now. Um, But it's just that we don't stay there. Um, We we sometimes have to choose hope. We sometimes have to say, um, the way that I, what I know has to be, um, has to lead what I feel. My, my feelings and my emotions can't sit in the driver's seat, but my, what I know to be true has to sit in the driver's seat, um, and inform what the way, what I, yeah, what I act or how I act and what I do. And just to do that next right thing, um, is what Elizabeth Elliot said is just to do the next right thing when you are just at the end of your rope and you 
don't know what to do, um, do one thing, the next right thing. Um, so I do feel like I can, I can um, speak freely to that. And I just feel like as I have really, um, become a student of hope and said, what is, what is biblical hope and what does it truly mean? Cause that's a word that we throw around both in Christian circles and non-Christian circles. Um, mm-hmm. I have learned that, um, lament actually stretches my capacity for hope, for true biblical hope, because it recognizes that, um, that this world is not as it should be. And this is hard and I'm not going to sugarcoat it, but I'm going to just kind of recognize that. Um, and then I can really allow, um, for the hope to, um, to kind of overwhelm those feelings of lament. And it sometimes it's a process and it's not instantaneous. So when we think of hope, sometimes we think, okay, I hope this turns out well. I mm-hmm. hope this skin is clear. I hope there's no evidence of disease. I hope we all live to be 105 healthy as a horse. Tell me what real hope looks like to you. Real hope is saying that no matter what, I know the end is good because I know who writes the end of my story. And the other piece of true biblical hope is that um, that idea that every day his grace for that day will be waiting for us. And the reason that we, um, and that I, I actually was thinking on this just this past week, um, sometimes worry or have fear is because I'm anticipating a set of circumstances in the future, but I'm not envisioning the grace to match those circumstances. So I'm just thinking about mm. these really bad things or these really bad days, but I'm not thinking about I'm going it alone. Yeah, I'm not. I'm, yeah, I'm thinking. I'm not thinking about the provision that's going to be there and the just unimaginable things that God's going to do to show up to match that or to even overwhelm those really bad things. And not to say those bad things aren't going to hurt. I mean, just like on the August 25th. I mean, it was horrific, but I made it through that day, and I made it through the next day, and I made it through the next day, and um, and now almost a year later, I can look back and say there was not a day that I was forsaken. Um, there was not a day that I didn't have just what I needed. There were so many tears that I cried and so many days that um, that were just, I was utterly heartbroken, but um, but I made it through, through His grace that, that met me on those days. So that's the biblical hope that I feel is that, that, that I know to be true, is that every single day we can't anticipate it, but the we, we can't anticipate exactly what it's going to look like, but the grace is waiting for us for whatever is ahead. One last thing I would love to talk about. Another thing that really mm-hmm. stuck with me from Justin's service is a song that came straight from the Psalms. Um, mm-hmm. And really the idea, I mean, again, I think we imagine biblical heroes and just people of great faith to be, so long suffering that there's never a thought of when are we done? I'm over it. I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And the refrain of how long, like how long am I to suffer with this? But there's still Mm -hmm. being a confident hope that talking to the Lord matters, makes a difference. There's still Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. relationship, this hope here. I'd love to know 
about the song, why you chose it and, and what it meant to you then or, or now, just when you think about mm-hmm. it in relation to that day. Yeah. So, um, you're describing, um, what you're talking about is a song called how long, and it's by a group called called worship. And, um, it's two friends of mine, Carrie Ballantyne and Carrie Roberts, and they are dear friends of mine and been them for several years now. And, um, they took Psalm 13 and really just made it into a song. And I really think that's why it's so powerful because it's just straight up scripture, just sung. And they have beautiful voices of course too. But, um, the psalmist says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And those aren't really like holy words <laughs> to right. say. I mean, it's like you have turned your face from me. Like how long will this, how, how long will this go on? Um, and it really just continues to go on and say, you know, how long will um, my enemies exalt over me? Um, and I have prayed this, really this psalm for so many so many years. Um, but then, um, and felt this way so many, you know, for so long, but then the part that is so powerful is in the end, um, when it's, um, in Psalm 13, verse five, and it says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love, O Lord, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And it's just this idea that, that decisive praise and the the decisive hope of, but that word, but, but I have trusted in your steadfast Lord. And it might not look like it right now, but he has dealt bountifully with me. He has been good for me. Um, Steadfast love and mercy will follow me all the days of my life is what it says in Psalm 23. And um, sometimes rejoicing is a choice and sometimes having hope is a choice. And, um, and that's, and that's just part of um, part. It has been a big part of my own experience. So you're choosing to rejoice mm-hmm. yeah. as you approach this first anniversary. Um, how are things different? What has what have you learned? What have you carried? How can we help in this time? Um, the grief continues, and it comes still sometimes in waves. Um, it's not as raw as it was early on in this first couple of months, but um, as we've gotten into the new normal, um, I think we are just um, never moving on, but moving forward with life and just wondering um, and, you know, looking ahead to the future as to what does this next season look like for our family and what does God have for us and just being really open-handed with with all of that um, And, you know, really as far as what can be the most helpful in this time, um, I would just say, say prayers, of course, always um, for the Lord to sustain us and to keep our eyes fixed on him um, is, is the biggest, the biggest thing Um, because God can do more with one prayer than, than a human can do with, with anything. So, um. So all yeah. the casseroles in the world, we need to be praying, no matter, no matter what we're right. dropping on your porch. Yes. yes. And my prayer, of course, my biggest prayer is just that God would completely heal my cancer and lengthen my years on earth so that I can serve and love my children. Um, and that also that I can um, just share God's hope with um, 
with women because I was called to women's ministry. I was called to women's ministry back in 2009 and I still feel really called in that direction. And, um, you know, I stopped speaking for a little while, of course, um, with the circumstances, but have started taking, you know, a little bit of some speaking, um, a few engagements on in this next, um, these next six months. And I'm really excited to, to dive into God's word with the women that are going to, um, to sit under my teaching and just, just to share, um, what God has taught me over these past, um, over really these past four years. Well, I know that you've been encouraging to anyone who's heard you today, and I'm so thankful for your honesty. I would love to know if there's anything you wanted to touch on that you feel like we haven't talked about. No, this has been great. I'm trying to think of like a way, like to like to say something to wrap it up. Yeah. So where can people find you if they want to follow your story, pray for you, if they want to see where you're going to be speaking or Mm -hmm. reach out, um, you know, maybe they're in a similar situation of losing Mm -hmm. their husband or, or walking through cancer. What is the best way to reach you? Um, so I have had a blog in the past and I just have not been real faithful with updating that because of life, (laughs) but, um, and this summer, I really haven't even been that great with updating social media because I've been so focused on my children and um, not wanting to be attached to a device all the time. But I am on Facebook. It's Brooke Arnold Turner. And on Instagram, um, it's Brooke Turner SC is my handle on Instagram. So y'all can find me um, one of those two places. And are you and, still updating Brooke Turner's cancer journey? Um, I haven't in a while, but yeah. I intend to at some point, <laughs> maybe when the kids get back to school. That's- yes. Well, we will drop it all in the show notes. And we are so thankful for your hope and your willingness in a time of limited emotional and physical resources to, to share mm-hmm. all of this with, with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I just, absolutely, um, yeah, really honored to to get to share my story. So thanks for this opportunity. That's it for today's, but not all at once. Thanks so much for joining us, y'all. I hope you'll subscribe because we have a lot to talk about this season and I don't want you to miss a single story. If you love what we're doing, would you consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts? It would mean the world, like more than a porch drop of a large Chick-fil-A sweet tea with pellet ice. It's a big deal. Come join the conversation at But Not All at Once on Instagram or email me directly at But Not All at Once at gmail.com. As always, I'm Ann Smith, and I'll see you right here next week. Bye, guys.